Resolution 19 submission um, and the papers for that meeting will be released tomorrow. Okay, thank you. So, um, tonight we look at a series of uh, reports and I propose to take them report by report um, and my calculation is that there are eight of them. So uh, we will uh, start with apologies for absence and declarations of interest. I've had an apology from Stephanie Harris. I'll, I'll declare my interest uh, with my wife's connection with the Gardens of Eastern Lodge. Thank you. Uh, minutes of the last meeting, are they a true record? Um, and within the minutes are uh, a series of actions, but these are, are picked up in item three, local plan evidence base, if you're content to deal with it, the, them at that point. Councillor Barker. I did query the point that I raised, Chairman, about how the employment numbers had been um, split between the four districts, and I don't feel that that question is answered in the paperwork, that is, which I would like noted. Okay. Right, so you'd like that noted in the minutes, but perhaps the point can be picked up when we look at the item. Um, have you got the action number? Um, no. That would be helpful so that um, the presenter of item three can just pick that up. Okay, we will move on to um, item three, local plan evidence base. I have a series of speakers to evening and we do have one for this particular item so I think what we'll do is to have take the speakers um, before each item and then it gives the opportunity for uh, the presenter of the paper to in part respond to the points as well. Um, what I should say uh, for your information but uh, uh, to go in, um, in the minutes and hopefully to be going out live is that um, the meeting next week on the 31st will also start at 6 o'clock uh, but there's a proposal for 60 minutes of public speaking and that's three minutes per person I mean we don't have to fill that time but that's um, uh, been set aside the same thing for cabinet on the 12th of June when we're proposing to commence at 7 o'clock and allow 60 minutes for public speaking and at council on the 19th of June but this is subject to the agreement of the chairman. As you know, I don't chair uh, council. The meeting is scheduled to commence at 7 o'clock as opposed to the usual 7.30 and a proposal for 90 minutes of public speaking, three minutes per person. So um, you'll calculate that that gives a total capacity for 70 speakers um, over the three meetings. Uh, so hopefully that will give a very good opportunity for public dialogue. Okay, so I'll call upon... Um, Mr David Hall to speak to item three uh, and then I'll ask I believe Mr Miles to comment thereafter. Thank you. Item three, local plan evidence base. You are here for and, and also I believe actually well <laughs> yeah uh, we can take all the speakers now um, obviously some of the um, there's more detailed analysis on the transport study um, and, and the housing trajectory. It is, a, it is another item, but um, if it would be helpful to take all the speakers now, then I'm very happy to do that. You have certainly all registered, to be fair, for item three, albeit 
some of these subjects are going to be done in much greater detail during the course of the evening. So on that basis, we will take all speakers. Um, so after Mr. Hall, we'll take Mr. MacDonald, um, then Mrs. Merrifield, uh, and I've asked for an extra speaker there, which is um, Mrs. Kingdom, then Mrs. Dean, uh, then Councillor Redfern, then Mr. Young, and then Mr. Evans. So uh, we'll do it all at one if you're all content with that arrangement. Okay, thank you. Chairman, thank you. Great Chesterwood Parish Council, which I'm going to call GCPC, challenged UDC's Regulation 18 local plan proposals because of incomplete or inadequate evidence relating in particular to transport, archaeology and heritage and overall lack of deliverability. GPC, GCPC, while reserving its position regarding any eventual inclusion of NUGC, has provided UDC with no less than 27 additions to the proposed policy SB7 as constituting the minimum red lines necessary to protect Great Chesterford in the event NUGC proceeds. As regards Agenda Item 3, today's comments are limited to GCPC's principal objections. Taking these in turn, the agenda item unfortunately inadequately sets out the attached evidence base and all PPG members are urged to carefully study the appendices in order to understand the full impact for Great Chesterford of what is proposed. For the sake of brevity, I use paragraph numbers when referring to agenda item 3 and to page numbers in the attachments. Firstly, transport, paragraph 34, refers only to the desired modal shift and the, quotes, ambitions for step change to non-car modes, unquotes. But look at page 131. Incidentally, Chairman, I have a full copy of this text with all the references, so I will hand that in after the meeting. Page 131, quotes, achieving the mode share targets above will require new development to deliver a step change in the use of sustainable modes, unquote. Regarding the A120 at page 135, we read the statement that there are, quotes, current unknowns regarding deliverable modal shift, unquotes, and exactly the same concerns apply to all the garden community sites. For the measures required to achieve the potential modal shift, look at page 244, which in relation to Great Chesterford refers to the requirement to make the rail station, quotes, more accessible, unquotes, by means of, quotes, improved routes, unquotes, which inevitably means rat runs for pedestrians, cyclists and private vehicles through the centre of the conservation area of Great Chesterford in order to reach what WYG refers to as uh, Great Chesterford's, quotes, transport hub, unquotes. The UDC proposal at paragraph 79 that, quotes, improved access, unquotes, to the rail station must be provided merely confirms that the already narrow and cluttered roads within Great Chestford are to be turned over to become rat runs in order to achieve UDC's requirement. How does this then square with the action point PP15 at paragraph 112? Paragraph 41, 
The claim that, quote, Great Chesterford has good access to walking and cycling facilities and is close to a rail station, unquote, ignores the fact that UDC's own consultants identify the need at page 1071 to, quote, extend park and ride services within NUGC towards walking stroke cycling distance of Great Chesterford, unquote, emphasising at the same time that links to the station at which identified constraints exist will be particularly important that you find at pages 1060 and 1069. Faith in the consultants is in any event shaken by the assertion at page 1069 that there, quotes, there is an existing cycle route south to Saffron Walden along the B184, unquotes. There is no such thing unless this refers to the road itself uh, beyond Little Chesterford towards Saffron Walden. Paragraph 47. Again, as regards access to the strategic and local network, Troy is completely wrong to claim that, quotes, it is not thought there are any major access constraints, unquote, associated with NUGC, at, that is at page 1048, GCPC's red lines reflect the absolute priority to avoid the very rat runs advocated by WSG and Troy needed in order to achieve UDC's desired modal shift. Further, by insisting, as per Grosvenor's recently disclosed proposals, that the primary first highways access is to be at the Park Road stroke B184 uh, access point, and that the discovery that capacity enhancements at Stump Cross, as yet not agreed with the highways authorities, let alone funded, have to precede establishment of what is to be the principal access to NUGC at Field Farm, and that the access north to the proposed Cambridge Park and Ride on the A1307, that's at page 1071, You, you have yet gone over your three minutes yet to be agreed park and ride um, is it's just an unfunded gleam in the eye it is obvious that there are indeed major access constraints which are wholly uh, unresolved as regards archaeology uh, I, I must ask you to uh, because otherwise everybody's going to have 10 okay. minutes and we'll, well be here all, i just refer you evening. to paragraphs 51 59 61 and 62 where it is impossible to defer issues on these important heritage heritage issues um, which can possibly ameliorate the irreversible damage to the site that will be caused by the development. In conclusion, for these reasons alone, the NUGC site is unsustainable and should be omitted from any future local plan that UDC proposes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we are going to stick re uh, religiously to the three minutes. We haven't started the clock uh, on that one. Uh, so, but I'm not going to, I'm sorry, but we're not going to allow everybody else a long time either. Mr. MacDonald. Good evening. I've been speaking to this group for two and a half years. Based on my previous experience, I've no, no doubt I should be ignored again today, but I, ha I have to try. In December 2015, I questioned the Schmar, and this group declined to adopt it. 
In April this year, Mike Young spoke about the Hardesty Jones Employment Report, and this group noted the report, although several of your questions remain unanswered. I have come yet again to complain that this local plan is based on unsound foundations and little but hearsay. Where is the evidence, the calculations and the audit trail that arrive at Uttlesford's highly exceptional house building target? Can any of you demonstrate how the number was arrived at? Similarly, will you come clean and tell us how you arrived at the jobs forecast? Specifically, how do you square this forecast against retaining the airport planning limit of 35 MPPA and against more recent job forecasts by Stansted Airport? Will you tell us what testing you did of these figures, especially in the face of challenges to the housing need figures from two or three chartered accountants and the airport's recent forecast of 13,200 jobs in 2028 to service 35 MPPA? I think you have assumed around 19,000, but it's not clear. These fundamental building blocks, these foundations for the local plan, are far from robust, yet you have chosen not to satisfy yourselves on these questions or to demonstrate why you think your base numbers are sound. You have simply ignored the challenges and moved on. For the last two years, the frailties of the foundations have been ignored while you have continued to build upon this ill-considered base. It is as if the main issue has been the colour of the tiles in the bathroom. I wonder where the councillors will be when the tiler shows up. I can just imagine him saying, I'm not, going to, I'm not keen to tile over that crack. Has this house got any foundations? Nor, sadly, do I expect to see many of you when the planning inspector is about and offices are being hung out to dry. Houses and jobs are the, are the two most fundamental elements for a local plan, yet in Uttlesford both are unclear and shrouded in mystery, with no joined-up supporting evidence. So, for the first, not for the first time, I ask you two basic questions that go to the heart of your plan. Firstly, will you reveal how the so-called housing need for Uttlesford has been calculated? I do mean calculated, with an audit trail that any reasonable person may be able to follow, not vague assumptions based on hearsay arguments and pleas not to derail the process. Secondly, will you reveal clearly what you have assumed regarding Stansted Airport's passenger throughput, its total employment numbers and the number of jobs that they, they will provide, uh, the number of jobs there that will pro provide employment for Uttlesford residents? As a point of information, may I say that at its latest in its latest employment survey, the airport found that only 18% of employees lived in Uttlesford. At the last PPWG meeting, various higher percentages were banded about. Thank you very much. Mrs Merrifield. Yet again, Stebbing Parish Council finds itself with more questions than answers. Why are Andrewsfield and Boxted Wood, which was on two separate planning or two separate applications and the calls for sites, now classed as going to be namely one as Andrewsfield? These were presented by two separate landowners. Um, they're now given they're very definitely given as two very obvious and separate sections of land and not joined or connected. How do you intend to join or connect these two very separate sections of land? And if you do, if you do so. If so, has this been included in the call for sites? So is there a separate piece of land that you're intending to have? Why have you withdrawn your call for sites information tables, etc.? 
from the website. We can only assume that you are hiding something before your meeting on the 31st. Stebbing Parish Council already has seen there have been sites in Stebbing that the PC has not been asked to comment on. Now, um, there was late call for sites last year and they were put in and asked for in the summer when all parish councils were late, you know, were on, hol were on holiday. And we did and we, we made our comments. But there have been other sites put in that the parish has not been asked to comment on. I'm quite sure there are other parishes around the district that have not been asked to comment on sites that have been late put in. So we'd like an answer to that, please. Um, this is not transparent or fair and starts to look as though this council has something to hide. Therefore, Stebbing Parish Council and the community of Stebbing want to know and have the right to comment on any other proposed sites. Does this council and its officers have intentions to discuss or include any other land within the west of Braintree Garden community? Not yet disclosed. You have stated that you will reconsider the trajectory for West of Braintree after Braintree District Council's inspector examination is reported on. You seem more concerned about Braintree District Council than your own residents. You have made no comments about the West of Braintree issues and options consultation, nor can it be found on West of, um, Uttlesford's West website. You can find a link, but all it does is show you the cons issues and options consultation. You have to actually go to the Braintree website to find the comments. Um, so that's somewhat not very transparent at all. How will UDC ensure that it will not find itself in the same position um, being, you know, as being delayed? Well, I think I might just go on. I think because I think I'd prefer to have a few more minutes, given that Chesterford had ten minutes. Uh, I wouldn't go down that road because uh, I have added another person that is not on my list to speak after you. But on the we, same we did actually say we would actually like different different comments and the amount of information. That, but the but amount at my of discretion, I have put another person in. I, I'm sorry that we didn't start the clock for the first person, but thereafter <laughs> we're on three minutes. And there is another speaker. Councillor Rolf. There is another there speaker from Can I make a comment about the amount of information that is on this agenda this evening? One person with three minutes could not possibly put anything, anything into three minutes about every different part of this agenda item three. I put in my email that we would, I would like to... Or, or, would like to speak on different things. Generally, when we say what we would like to speak about, if we say another councillor would like to speak on a different agenda item, that's taken. Now, fair enough, that's what you wish to say. However, I think it is unfair and it is not fair at all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mrs Kingdom. Good evening. Um, <clears throat> I wish to ask a question 
on behalf of Stebbing Parish Council on, um, about archaeological case or the archaeological case for um, West of Braintree Garden Community Site. The brief archaeological impact assessment of proposed Uttlesford Garden Communities by Pace Services in January summarises known heritage assets within the West of Braintree Garden Community located within Uttlesford. It doesn't include listed this doesn't include listed buildings. One, there is Andrews Field. Two, the land south of Boxted Wood. Three, Stebbing Green, a Roman mill and a known Roman villa are identified. And then there's Stain Street and Boxted Wood, ancient woodland. And this is table 12 in the assessment. But this does not refer to sites within Braintree District Council's area. And we suggest the total number of sites needing archaeological investigation is much higher. So we have sought the services of a distinguished archaeologist and are, are advised, following his referral to Planning Policy Statement 5, Planning for the Historic Environment, that assessing the likelihood of currently unidentified heritage assets is an essential part of the planning process. We feel the Council has not given the impact of archaeology anything like its due weight. I refer to the impact of past investigations during two recent development programmes. First, the Stansted Airport expansion programme by Havis and Brooks in 2004, and the upgrade of the A120 in years 200 to 2000 to 2003. These works give a detailed idea of the kind of archaeology which will be encountered during a project for this site. Now, for Stansted Airport, six, around 600 hectares was field-walked, while at the A120, landscape transect, an area of, sea, of around 115 hectares was investigated. The latter project produced some 24 archaeological sites that works out at one per four hectares, of which most were sampled or excavated. We are advised the dissected boulder clay plateau on which West of Braintree would be built is a strong indicator that the archaeology at Stansted Airport and the A120 will be similar. So on the assumption that the projected, projected land take for the garden community would be approximately 500 hectares, we can assume that the archaeological site density, I'll just wound up if I may, Site density will be approximate to that encountered at the earlier two sites and a field walking program may identify as many as 125 sites which merit investigation. That does, is bound up, found, confirmed by other investigations, earlier sightings. Basing costs on the closest projects, the A120 by Oxford Archaeology, Total evaluation came out at three and a half million pounds. That's 2003 prices. Okay. I, I do need to ask you to... Yes, I will. One more sentence. For the archaeology in today's prices, that is surely nearer four million pounds. So my question is, can the Council assure us that a full and thorough archaeological investigation will be carried out? Thank you. Thank you.
Mrs Dean Tron, uh, from Donmo Town Council. I'm reading extracts from um, our transport consultant. Um, hopefully um, I'll keep within your time. Um, so I, and then after that I've just got a couple of questions I'd like a written reply on if that's possible. Um, Mr Johnston um, says, we're not objecting to the local plan at this stage on traffic grounds and it is important to note this. You may want to pull the mic a little bit closer to you. Okay, can you hear me now? Yep, I okay. think that's better. Um, what we're saying is that the traffic work undertaken to support the plan is inadequate and does not use the methodology that is appropriate to a network that is heavily congested. As a result, it is unfit for purpose and does not allow the potentially large cumulative impact of traffic from multiple allocations to be properly scrutinised in accordance with the NPPF paragraph 162.2. Um, he picks up on um, WYG's uh, statement that when a link reaches 100% stress or greater, the most likely outcome is slow-moving traffic during half the weekday peaks during the year. In these conditions, some drivers may choose to travel outside the peak periods to avoid potential congestion, and some drivers may divert to alternative routes where less congested alternatives are available. Neither of these effects have been considered in the transport study due to the significant additional complexity involved in assessing these factors. The results of the transport study are therefore worst case. Our consultant says this is not true. The A120 past Takeley will be 113% at 113% according to WYG by 2033 without the local plan, easily enough to cause diversions. They say that the local plan would add up to 1,585 trips to the route, which cannot be accommodated. These trips must therefore go somewhere else, but where? This is a deeply flawed approach and not one I've ever come across before. Finally, I find paragraphs 6.7.10 and 6.7.11 to be in direct contravention of paragraph 177 of the MPPF, which requires a reasonable prospect of delivery for infrastructure. How can one assess the likelihood of mitigation being delivered in a timely fashion when no attempt has been made to identify what it will, comp what it will comprise? You cannot base a Regulation 19 submission on this as it would surely be unsound. Quoting WYG again, they recommend the implications of a major of major developments on the A120T, which is a trunk road, should be assessed in detail using a strategic multimodal transport model of the A120T corridor that is capable of a dynamic trip reassignment to be funded by developers. Indeed, but with the, this would be outside, it would be too late for the local plan. This is unsound. Is that my time? It is. Okay, can I just um, go on to my questions then, if that's okay? Well, are they written questions? Uh, yeah. Why, um, why don't you submit them and then we'll respond okay, accordingly? Can I just tell you what they are? Basically well, just what, summarise. Yes, I'll summarise them. What I'd like to know is um, um, WYG says that um, Essex County Council and Highways England support this approach. Um, so, can we please have written evidence that they say that? Um, can we also have written evidence um, of um, what the PPWG um, reported on last year, 22nd of June, um, 
the uh, Essex County Council um, transport reports which influence the decision on the final selection of the okay. three garden settlements and also um, can you give us um, a, an explanation of what UDC will do if it gets to planning application stage before the transport modelling is done? We'll respond in writing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councillor Redfern, now just to upset Mrs Merrifield a little bit more, uh, Councillor Redfern actually gets five minutes because she's a councillor. So because we want to be fair, <laughs> because we want to be fair, let me finish. I'm not going to give you another three minutes, but after uh, Councillor Redfern, if you'd like to come back to the mic, just to say what the other subjects were that you were going to be covering, uh, because, um, you know, we will hear the, the, the subjects and the headlines and then we'll go on. There is another speaker from Stebbing still to come, Mr Evans as well. Councillor Redfern, you don't have to use your five minutes if you want to. Well, now I know I've got five minutes. I'll say um, I think you've just done the... Um, that was the right thing to do because I think that there are other people in the room to be expected to um, summarise what we've got to say on over a thousand papers, pages, in three minutes is, uh, and having only been able to see it last week is, you know, pushing it. But I'll, I'll let you off. I won't lecture you because you've let them. Right. I am here to speak on behalf of the ward I represent and to ask some questions that I have on these papers. On page 140 of the WYG consultation conclusions, point 7.22, the roads that exceed their capacity without additional housing in the local plan, the M11 junction 7 to 9 is listed. And on page 371.5.6, options to improve this are suggested. None of these options seem to have made it into our own report, and I wonder why not. Again, on page 140, the B1383 is noted as being at capacity and no improvements have been made, have made it into our own report. My ward is impacted on both of these roads. The M11, just two lanes from junction 8 north to junction 9, and as we know, there's no access north at junction 9 either. At, the, at one end, we have Stansted Airport with its potential to dramatically increase passenger numbers and at the other end, we have the potential of the North Uttlesford Garden community. Both will have a huge impact on this motorway and as we all know, this regularly falls over now and is closed. This being one of the longest stretches of motorway without an exit in the country, then pushes all this traffic onto the B1383 down through Great Chesterford, Little Chesterford, Littlebury, Wendon and on towards Stansted. To ignore this problem is not acceptable to me or the residents I represent. In Grosvenor's uh, transport report, there is also a series of alterations they feel need to be made to Great Chesterford to enable this development. Peter Brett, their consultants, mention in their document that they have engaged with Great Chesterford Parish Council on this. This is simply not true, and if they had, they would understand that much of what they suggest is not feasible or acceptable to Great Chesterford. Why should Great Chesterford pick up the pieces to make NUGC sustainable when it has a negative impact on this historic village? Surely it should be sustainable in its own right. 
The Heritage Impact Assessment recognises that there are a number of areas of potential harm and that the site is constrained. It has no development, it says no development between the temple and Roman town, but the current plan supplied by Grosvenor shows new ground modelling and a balancing lake in that very location. If this balancing lake cannot be at the bottom of the hill, where can it be? Halfway up the hill, on top of the hill? The report states that more work on heritage is required. Surely this should be done before the allocation of such a sensitive site. Great Chesterford Parish Council provided Grosvenor and UDC with a very considered version of SP7 some time ago. Grosvenor responded, passing much of it back to UDC, but we have heard nothing on this to date, except in the last few days that our red lines will be addressed in Regulation 19. We have seen nothing of the new SP7 that is to go into Regulation 19, and whilst UDC is confident that the details will be dealt with by a DPD, I'm led to believe leaving important detail to DPDs is dangerous. South Cams backed away from this idea and included all the detail in initial policies, as have Chelmsford City. The concern is that the scheme cannot deliver the numbers needed in a sympathetic way. For example, clear landscape separation buffer between new houses in Great Chesterford, which is not currently proposed on the master plan and the balancing lake issue. These conflicts need to be sorted out now so that a proper assessment can be carried out. Leaving it to DPDs could result in Uttlesford delivering a substandard development and not providing the housing numbers needed. So for Great Chesterford Parish Council, it is clear we need our red lines in Regulation 19 to have confidence that these will be delivered. The road network improvements are essential and the buffer zone as a protection to the historic environment environment should be stated in policy so that they can be picked up and delivered by the DPD. The red lines are key to my ward and as such are key to me as their member. I'm extremely uncomfortable with the jam tomorrow proposals. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So if uh, Mrs Murrayfield would like to come back. find out what I came from now. Um, right. Um, I'll just finish off where I was um, before. Um, okay. So far, um, there is really no developer down. I'll call it Andrews Field now, since that's how you're, you're calling it. Um, I know there's Galliard Homes, but I believe they're not the same size or have the same resources as Land Securities and Grosvenor have for, um, for West of Braintree. Therefore, um, given that North Essex garden communities intend to form the North Essex Development Corporation, therefore, does UDC intend to form its own development corporation? And will this be shown within Section 19? And where will you... Um, I'm presuming that you will go for government funding if you're going to form a development corporation. Um, it's a very small, it would be a, a very small development corporation for 3,500 houses, um, as opposed to the one down within North Essex Garden communities, because that's what does con, um, concern the parish council and the people in, in Stebbing, that they might be hived off into Braintree district 
at some point. Um, okay. The other things I wanted to mention were that uh, in the infrastructure, the Troy planning and design people put in, when you talk about Eastern Park, and they mention um, contributions from developers and delivery by the Essex County Council, they mention um, the, under the, in the column nature of infrastructure, they have M11 Junction 8, local level highway infrastructure, Essex Regiment Way contributions for sustainable transport mitigation, um, A120 Braintree Junctions, A120 B108 Galley's Corner, and the 120-1256 Marks Farm, um, and then the Chelmsford Northeast Bypass. However, when it comes to... Uh, see, too many bits of paper. Um, now here it is on the back. Um, when it comes to west of Braintree, we talk about um, active modes of public realm, rapid transit, travel plan measures, guided bus free trans freeport transit, Cressing Loop freeport transit hub, um, but they don't mention any of the ones that they mention in Eastern Park. Now, given that we are, West of Braintree is much, much closer to places like Galley's Corner, Mark's Farm, the Chelmsford Bypass, and they haven't mentioned them. So that's obviously a mistake and needs to be put in. Given that you haven't got a developer at the moment, um, I was looking at the funding, and it's quite astronomical, somewhere in between 80.85 million and 116.9 million and there was other, then I realised there was other things. It's quite astounding the amount of infrastructure and that quite horrified me and if you're going to be a, you know, a development corporation, um, good luck to you and I think I'm quite horrified by the whole thing and uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. I wish to speak on two separate subjects. The first concerns the housing trajectory and five-year land supply, Appendix 2. There are two ways of calculating the five-year land supply known as Liverpool and Sedgefield. The Council has always used the harsher Sedgefield method, and this was not a problem when it comfortably met the five-year target. Last year, problems emerged, and I suggested that it change to the Liverpool method. This method had been accepted by the Government and the Courts, especially where a district like Uttlesford had a good record on delivery and it would have meant that Uttlesford would meet or have been reasonably close to its target. The planning department did not agree with me and continued with the Sedgefield system. Now it's proposed to change to Liverpool. This sudden change of heart is very welcome. It's a shame it didn't happen earlier. My second point concerns the infrastructure delivery plan, Appendix 8. I was very pleased to see the report which is an update of a plan produced a year ago. That earlier plan was not presented to the group, who were merely shown a short summary of it. The plan does concentrate on the infrastructure needed for possible garden settlements, 
but includes details of infrastructure requirements in other areas. So I was surprised with the comment that for other locations, it didn't expect that growth would result in the need for additional strategic infrastructure. Since the Council is anticipating an extra 10,000 homes outside of these garden settlements during the plan period, this seemed unduly optimistic. But the report does include some costings. Should the Council decide to introduce a community infrastructures levy, a SIL, then these could be a very useful starting point. Five years ago, I wrote suggesting that a SIL be introduced. And since that time, the Council's position had gone from opposition to lukewarm support. I do appreciate there are arguments about whether a SIL is most appropriate for large developments. But there will still be a considerable amount of building in other parts of the district. I believe that the benefits of, SIL, of a SIL far outweigh any disadvantages. Having now completed the basic work on infrastructure needs, then the Council is surely in a good position to start work on a SIL almost immediately. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, Mr Evans. Good evening. Mr Chairman and Councillors, my name is John Evans. I'm speaking as the Chairman of the Stabbing Neighbourhood Plan Steering Group, which has been working for the past two years in the preparation of a draft neighbourhood plan for our parish. We hope to conclude our drafting in the autumn of 2018. We wish to make some brief observations concerning the UDC heritage evidence space to the extent that it impacts potentially upon Stebbing and our own emerging neighbourhood plan. We have every wish to cooperate with officers in the drafting of the neighbourhood plan and only two weeks ago we were able to hold our first but long delayed meeting with them to discuss the impact of potential development in the area east of Stebbing Green and Stebbing Village namely the so-called West of Braintree Garden community, upon the landscape characteristics and qualities of our parish, and also to discuss the awaited heritage impact assessment. However, that assessment was not available by the time of the meeting, although it had been postponed from March to await it, but it has finally been included in draft form in your papers tonight. As will be appreciated, there has been limited time for us to consider it, let alone discuss it with officers. We invited our consultant Simon Neeson of the Landscape Partnership to attend the officers' meeting in order to discuss his recommendations for the placing and extent of a green wedge or buffer between any new development at Andrewsfield and Boxted Wood and Stebbing Green and the main village being one of the recommendations included in his firm's report dated March 2017. I addressed you about that report in June 2017 when I was told that it would be taken into account. At our recent meeting with officers, that remained the stated position. Nothing seen by us, however, so far indicates that positive consideration has been given to those recommendations for a green wedge or buffer. We are now further concerned about heritage matters. The very lengthy report before you tonight remains in draft form. It has not taken into account the Stebbing Heritage Assessment commissioned by the steering group from Grover Lewis dated August 2017. We requested that the Grover Lewis report be included within the instructions given to Douglas Insall, the report authors, but it was not. In the circumstances, we sent it to them directly, requesting that they take it into account, which they have not. 
The issue which the steering group now wishes to raise is the absence of active engagement and consultation with us regarding the landscape and heritage evidence and assessments obtained for the purposes of our neighbourhood plan and their potential interrelationship with the evidence base and assessments obtained by the Council. We very much appreciate the pressure and timetable that officers are working to, but in order to achieve the best results for our neighbourhood plan, we respectfully ask that direct engagement and meaningful consultation be afforded to us and our highly regarded consultants in the future and on an ongoing basis. For the residents of Stebbing to come to believe that UDC genuinely is ears open to listen to their opinions regarding the two most important concerns to them surrounding potential development in the parish, namely adverse landscape and heritage impact, we as a steering group do request feedback from and interaction with officers on our consultants' reports and advice which has hitherto not been substantive. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before I uh, ask Mr. Miles to comment and then open it to this uh, <coughs> committee, I'd make just a few points. Um, uh, the, the overall one is that obviously we're launching another consultation. It is a slightly different consultation to Regulation 18, but nevertheless it is a consultation. So all the points that have been made... Um, will be fed in as a response to that consultation and the inspector will see them and uh, in some cases uh, UDC will be able to deal with them, in other cases it may be for the inspector to consider them. Um, and uh, just coming back to development plan documents and without getting into a legal discussion, um, this council has engaged a company called Dentons who are specialists in this field, they're advisors to the Ministry. When I talk about the Ministry, it used to be DCLG. I won't go through what it is now, but let's call it the Ministry. Um, and um, on their National Planning Policy Framework. So they are particular specialists, and, and one of their leading partners came and advised us that DPDs absolutely have the same legal uh, status um, as, as the um, local plan of the Regulation 19. So they are very, very important pieces. And what they do is to take the whole process to a level lower than the local plan, to go into the sort of detail that many of you have been talking about tonight. And they will have the same period of consultation. They'll have the same um, investigation by an inspector. So... Um, the points that Mr Evans has just made, for example, would very much be picked up in a DPD in a two-way close dialogue. So the interchange that you're looking for hopefully would come through in that process. So that's the overall context. The second, um, we've heard from both uh, Mr MacDonald and Mr Young uh, about numbers. And you're absolutely right to both of you. You've been faithful followers of this group and, and consistently made the point about numbers. And, and we fully respected it and always gone back to make sure that we are correct um, and Mr Young has gone into greater detail with the Sedgefield and the Liverpool methodology. The figures broadly come back to the same number around 14,000 and then when you add in a five-year land supply you come back to 14,7 whichever way you do it. Um, using the revised method that uh, Mr. Miles will perhaps uh, refer to in just a moment, uh, we, it does give us a, a, a lower buffer requirement. But, but all of this 
All of this is in the context of the government's uh, announcement that it will create its own methodology for numbers and that Uttlesford's number is 16,200. It is incredibly important that we bear this in mind. The government, or the ministry I should say, is fairly relaxed as long as we stay on our timetable that we can use the numbers that Mr Young and, um, has referred to in terms of how calculated. Uh, but if we slip our timetable, then we are in a new arena because the 16.2 will click into place later on this year. So uh, that is a, a, a particularly important point, I think, uh, around numbers. Um, if uh, I could just uh, pick up some of the points that uh, Mrs Merrifield made. Uh, we are not including any other land to the west, on the west of Braintree site. You raised it at the last, uh, not the last, but a previous PPWG. It was in. It's been taken out. Um, your local councillors and myself have been determined that it won't go back in again. So I hope that is some reassurance. I mean, we can never predict the future. In terms of um, uh, a um, development corporation, um, Yes, I think it's fair to say that the west of Braintree, if I take the whole site, not just the Uttlesford bit of it, is more complicated than the other two because you don't have the single developer in the way that you do with land securities and with Grosvenor. So it is perfectly legitimate that the thing is exercised through a development corporation and the money would need to be raised and, and, and uh, obviously uh, there are ways of doing that and it's quite possible that the other two will go through a development corporation subject to a whole series of negotiations that are taking place the whole governance of how we're going to absolutely uh, ensure garden community principles has got to be reassured for each of the three developments so it's a it's a perfectly uh, legitimate tool to use and it, and it could happen but there'd only be one development corporation we, we wouldn't have our bit and the Braintree bit, so we'll absolutely be working with Braintree to, to look at a single single solution. Um, and um, you talked the, the, your, your point about some of the access points. Uh, access to all of the garden communities is fundamental, both in terms of the main arterial routes, so how do you access the A120 from the west of Braintree site is, is critical, but also the, the more uh, uh, rural roads, the, 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 the sub-roads, and particularly to the north, I think we heard at a previous meeting how important they were, so all that will be factored in. One of the exciting possibilities, and we won't make a commitment, is to create a rapid transport. By that I mean it, it works on its own tracks, that it it doesn't get confused with the rest of the transport route. It might be a train, it might be a bus, it doesn't really matter, but it is a, that, that it would start, well who knows where it would start, it might start in Bishop Stortford, but it would certainly run from uh, Stansted Airport to uh, Eastern Park if Eastern Park goes ahead, and there's, there's no reason why it shouldn't continue through to West of Braintree, which would be a, you know, a very exciting possibility. So just moving on, but I, Mr. Mr. Mars is going to, uh, in his... Uh, um, present, you know, summing of the uh, paper will pick up your other more detailed points. We heard about um, Junction 8 North. It goes down to two lanes, as we're all very well aware. Um, I was invited by our Member of Parliament, Kemi Badenoch, to meet Highways England, and they are responsible for the motorway, as you'll appreciate. They're responsible for the A120. They're not, as it happens, responsible for the A505. Uh, that is uh, the Mayor stroke Cambridge uh, County Council. Uh, but uh, the, the Highways England um, 
very much talked with a, a determination to make this happen to create a smart motorway north of um, Junction 8 which basically turns the hard shoulder into a third lane so uh, they're very aware of, of, uh, of, of that SP7s, well it will be released tomorrow but as I say it's part of a negotiation um, still uh, was the, uh, Mr Young's other point um, and uh, you're absolutely well, I don't think we've ever been cold on the subject it was purely the advice that we were given uh, some years ago uh, that we would get more out of um, section 106 than, than, than we would out of SIL and I think that advice actually was right at the time now times change and it's, but it's not a, a um, a policy that necessarily has to be for everything. Uh, you could use SIL for some aspects and, and, and other tools for others. So, yes, and, and we will have be receiving a paper officer that will be preparing that. You'll appreciate that uh, uh, they have a lot to do at the moment, but SIL is very much on the agenda. Um, and I think that probably is all that I want to say on this. So I now ask uh, Mr. Miles to talk to point item three, local plan evidence base, starting at page 11. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, the purpose of bringing the papers for you today is to update the planning policy working group on progress on the evidence base to support the next stage of consultation on the local plan and bringing that work before you today uh, that is complete to allow councillors to consider that work. First page of the committee report, agenda page 11, sets out the evidence base before you today. Coming report then goes through each evidence based document and provides a summary of the findings. Towards the end of the Commission report, agenda page 27, officers have gone through the actions from previous PPWGs and provided updates there. Um, Councillor Barker's point on... Uh, hang on, I scroll this down. Splits between the districts from jobs at Stansted Airport. Uh, no, jobs. just jobs generally. There's a job total for the FEMA area of 51,000 mm -hmm. and we suddenly get a division between the four districts with no rational explanation of how. Right. That's what I asked at the last meeting. Apologies that, we misunderstood, that I misunderstood that. I will look to get an answer to you for the next meeting. Um, yes. The supporting evidence based papers then start from agenda page 33. Um, I'd make a general point about all the um, many of the questions that were put by members of the public today. Um, a lot of the, the questions were about um, the detail of the garden community developments, much of which will come through the development plan documents, which we are uh, in the next stage of consultation of the local plan, making a decision to commit to doing development plan documents as opposed to supplementary planning documents. As Councillor Wells said, a DPD has the same weight as a local plan. The local plan is a DPD. Um, so, yes, they have the same weight. Um, I wasn't, well, I, I don't know how you want me to run this, Chair. Um, there were quite a few detailed points 
raised by uh, questioners. Would, would it be best if they're dealt with in the section of the report? So, for example, the heritage, when we get to heritage, should we deal with the heritage points there? Yes, I think that would, I think that would be helpful because obviously the reports go in, into very much greater detail. So if, as, as long as we pick them all up, and I've got a, a, a note of um, what each speaker covered, uh, which there was quite a lot on uh, heritage, quite a lot on infrastructure, uh, quite a lot on um, archaeology as well. So if we pick those up in the necessary reports... Um, that would be fine. So uh, you can either conclude on that or come on to the step change uh, paper. Um, so there was one point which doesn't uh, sit well in uh, the reports, which was on the, um, the Shmar. So I, I, I was proposing to address that now and then, and then go on to the, uh, the reports. Okay. Thank you. Um, so... That was uh, Mr. McDonald's questioning of the Shmar, um, saying it was an un unsound foundation uh, and asking for a, um, a clear summary of, the, of how we've got to the housing numbers that are in the, in the Shmar. The clearest way that I can put it, obviously the detail is, is all in the Shmar um, and it is, a it is necessarily a complicated uh, way of, of getting to that figure but the, broad, the simple way I would summarise it is um, the Schmar takes the latest government household projections turns those households into dwellings because household doesn't necessarily equal dwelling There's some, some houses hold, have a second home and, and other things like that it then applies an adjustment to take into account market signals um, page 9 of the 2016 Schmar and page 25 of the 2017 Schmar include this calculation which I'll summarise now. The 2016 Schmar multiplies the household projections that have been turned into dwellings that's a figure of 11,733 multiplies it by 20% to get to 14,100 well, it's actually 14,080 but it's then rounded up to 14,100 in the plan. The 2017 Schmar starts in the same figure, the 11,733, and multiplies it by 13.63% to get to 13,332. That's the simplest way I can put it. I, I accept that the, how you get to the 20% and or 13.63% uplifts is uh, not as transparent, I'm afraid. But that, that detail, well, the justification for that is in the Schmar and isn't capable of being put simply. Um, I would now like to introduce the first report, if that's okay, Chair. Are you talking about water? Uh, no. Uh, Garden Communities Delivery Update. Excellent. No, that's fine. Yes, that is the next item. Thank you. The first paper looks at the delivery rates on the Garden Communities. number of representations to the last stage of consultation on the plan criticised the delivery rates on the Garden Communities. Representation suggested that uh, the commencement of delivery was too early and that the rate of delivery uh, was too low. Officers have looked again at the, both aspects of, these, of the delivery rates for Eastern Park and North Uttlesford. The paper sets out uh, the proposed amended trajectory for these garden communities. Uh, at Appendix 3 of that paper, which is Agenda Page 39, um, 
the proposed trajectory moves the start date for housing completions from 2021-22 back one year to 2022-23 and also increases the maximum on-site delivery from 175 dwellings per annum to 300 dwellings per annum in the final year. Um, overall, this um, results in an increase in the number of dwellings within the plan period on North Uttlesford from 1,900 to 1,925 and on Eastern Park from 1,800 to 1,925. Thank you, Chair. Just to be clear as well, um, Mr Young made a point about uh, five housing trajectory and five-year land supply. I was, I was going to address that point on the next paper, five-year land supply. So on the basis that um, any colleagues are content, I think it's the right approach to pick up some of the detailed points in the substantive reports, if you're content with that. Um, but we won't be coming back to delivery rates. So are there any quick... Council Lodge... Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, as we know, delivery rates are dependent upon developers doing their work. They have to be responsible for, the, for those numbers. And the sad point is that developers rather tend to build when they see profitability in the homes that they're building in the next tranche, the, tra the tranche afterwards. And quite frankly and bluntly, we cannot rely on them to do it. Um, so this leads me, and it goes to a point which we've spoken about, you're well aware of, but I'm enormously concerned about the delivery of, of the new communities. And I do appreciate that we're talking about that in a different forum of the delivery vehicle. However, I still feel very strongly that we need in Reg 19 to specify that a development corporation will be used and as we know, the structure of this will be that it will be reporting to an oversight authority within Ottlesford District Council. I know that, this is, that there's been kickback on this on the basis that we haven't done a proper analysis of the evidence to support that. But can I just give you one piece of evidence which should be absolutely major and uppermost in our minds? And that is the private sector has never, ever delivered a new town. I could put that up to um, opinion, balanced opinion, which says, why on earth do we want to be round about the first to try and do it? We have an opportunity here that we, should, we can put into the Reg 19 that that will be the preferred delivery method. This may then go to, this would go to the inspector, and the likelihood is that it would prompt uh, a pretty good, a good debate at the inspection. And the inspector may support us that. And as we know, once we are doing the ongoing negotiations with the developer, if they feel that there is this um, overall priority that we have, we are much more likely to get the developers on our side and deliver the new communities that we need. I know you said that, uh, that, that Dentons were saying we can build all of those hooks into the later part, into the, into the DPD. But on the other hand, the TCPA has consistently said we should be going down that um, 
Oversight Authority, sorry, which is the Development Corporation, which is looked after by the Oversight Authority here into, in, in UDC. Now, I will really find it difficult to support this plan without that specific hook built into it. Um, I think we have a good chance to really set down our marker here. So, point one, um, what you just said is not actually on tonight's agenda. It could be on next week's agenda, but it is not part of this. And you use the words will be um, based on development corporations. And as you're well aware, all the legal advice strongly recommends that we do not use that kind of language for a whole host of reasons. Not least, development corporations have not even been enacted. I know the outline uh, permission is there, but the detail still hasn't been enacted. Development corporations are, and what the, um, uh, when you see the detail tomorrow, uh, you will see that uh, we refer to uh, the, uh, that uh, we will deliver garden communities if necessary through, garden, through development corporations. So it's crystal clear that we will deliver garden communities based on the, the appropriate principles, and if necessary, we will do that through a development corporation. But to say that that is the only way, and that's how we're going to do it, would be irresponsible. And um, we, we, we engage quality lawyers to give us the advice, and the advice is crystal clear. As was the advice from the inspector, which you heard. The inspectors came and said, do not commit yourself at this stage. So I regret that what you're suggesting is inappropriate. But as I say, it's not, we can have this discussion again next week. It's not really for tonight. We're, not, we're looking at um, delivery rates. Uh, are there any questions on that? Councillor Davis. Yeah, just, just quickly. So within the presentation that we have from the planning advisory service at both PPWG and Scrutiny, they talked about not putting a large number at the end of the period. That wouldn't be acceptable to the inspector. Um, could you just sort of talk to us about your comfort in the methodology about those rates and, and sort of what percentage we are looking for within a certain time frame? Miles. Thank you, Chair. Um, so in looking to, to, um, to evidence the delivery rates that we're proposing, we have looked at the, the representations that, we came, that came into Regulation 18. We've looked at the documentation those representations are referred to. So for example, um, a number of them refer to a report by NLP on the delivery on large sites. That um, identifies an average delivery rate over, over the build out over the whole um, delivery of a site of, of I think around 175 dwellings per annum. So that recognises that on, on some years there will be higher levels of delivery and on, on other years there will be lower. The trajectory we have um, assumed starts off at a, a low rate recognising that it will take time for the developments to get going. Um, it then builds up over time to get to, as I said, 300 in the final year. The final year is the only year which sees 300 being delivered. It is, um, we think, an ambitious but realistic trajectory. There are, of course, um, risks to, uh, to, to the trajectory. Um, for example, one of the risks which uh, we recognise is if the delivery on the garden communities is, is delayed for whatever, whatever reason, then that means that even if it's only one year, 
then the final year falls off the end. So the, the final year being 300, that means we lose 300 from the end of from the total supply within the within the plan. Um, recognising that risk, part or part of the reason for recognising that risk and, and straying onto the, the second item, to the next item today, the trajectory overall builds in a buffer going up to 14,700. So there's a buffer and that allows for uh, some things to go wrong. Um, I hope that answers your question. Gautam Mills. Um, just to clarify, I think that in that NL, NLP report, basically that doesn't take into account any building of affordable as well. If you factor in the affordable, it pushes it another 30%. So the figure then goes to an average of about 210, and therefore it's even more reasonable. Good, thank you. We'll now move on to five-year land supply. Thank you, Mr. Mars. Thank you, Chair. Uh, second paper looks at amending way the housing requirement for the local plan is phased over the period. Paper considers a number of different options set out at Appendix 2, Agenda page 46. Concludes that the plan should have a, st a stepped trajectory with a lower target in the early years of the plan and a higher target in the later years of the plan, such that the overall target matches that for a flat requirement. Um, Justification for the step requirement is that this requirement better matches the strategy in the plan with a higher, requi higher requirement in later years as delivery on the garden community commences. Thank you. Sorry, I said I would address Mr Young's points here as well. So Mr Young made a point about the five-year land supply and method of calculation Liverpool versus Sedgefield. Um, what we are proposing in the local plan is to use the Liverpool methodology whereby backlog from previous years is spread out over the whole plan period rather than the first five years, which is the Sedgefield method of calculation. Um, this, this method of calculation would need to be demonstrated and examined in the local plan. So this isn't something that would be capable of being used in development management decisions until the local plan is adopted. Um, so I just wanted to make that point. And, and the second point was an IDP, so I think I've covered that. Any other comments on five-year land supply? She is very sensible, Chairman. Councillor Dean. Before I make a comment on this, I'd just like to say that... Um, having waded through the 1150 pages, um, I, I had some satisfaction in knowing that what end of last year we had a lot of work to do, there were a lot of work re reports required on those that are here, uh, and I really would like to thank both our officers and those behind the scenes, consultants and so on, for the work that was done. I know there was some of it where we had to put uh, our foot on the pedal to uh, uh, and, and, and make comments in high places to get it done, but it seems to have been done, and I think everybody deserves uh, congratulations for depositing these 1,150 pages in my house at the end of last week. Um, I haven't read every word, but I've, I've been through a lot of it. On, on the um, five-year land supply, um, I, I will confess that uh, it took me a while to get my head around it. I, in fact, had a, uh, a, a conversation 
with Mr. Miles yesterday, and, um, and it does make sense. I was most surprised to see that in the list of scenarios on page uh, 46 that it even mentions the old figure of 430 homes per year, which uh, in, in the old days of the East of England Regional Assembly is a number that we were all working on then. Uh, time has moved on a long way since then, but um, it makes sense. Um, we have adopted the uh, Liverpool method, which uh, we were told a few minutes ago we should have done earlier, and, and we've done it now, and, and it does seem to stack up to me. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Um, if we're content on that, we shall now move on to the water cycle study. Thank you. A detailed water cycle study is required by the Environment Agency to update the 2017 high-level document. This document that's appended to your pack looks in more detail at growth impacts on wastewater recycling centres and water quality in rivers. The document looks at water resources and supply wastewater treatment and sewerage, water quality, flooding, and it concludes that there's no showstoppers found for the three selected garden communities. Thank you. Any comments about the water study, which we discussed quite a lot? Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chair. In, uh, in 1.1, which I think is page 60, um, round the, the bottom of there, it's saying that water use per person per day will be limited to a lower rate than the current statutory requirements. If you think about it, that's a bit shocking. Could you, could you explain a little bit more about that? Well, that's due to the um, policies of affinity water as they're the water provider so it is the policies that they set and agree with the environment agency you may have heard uh, a feature on uh, today program this morning uh, which is dealing with this in terms of how are we going to deal long term with water usage and um, there is the potential nothing to do with our garden developments but the potential that we will be uh, capped in terms of uh, the amount of water that we can use but uh, I don't think I don't know whether the two points are linked but this is uh, this is not particular to the garden communities I think this is a this, this, this is a, a more general uh, policy that could be coming forward it sounds rather worrying though that, that, that we look into enforce these restrictions and uh, I, I can't Im imagine it will, be a, it will be an easy process. Um, I'm not sure we can do anything about it here now, but it, it, causes, me, it causes me a lot okay, of Okay, well, let's take that one offline. It's a very important point. I, mean, yeah. I don't think it's us that's enforcing them. I think it's Affinity Water. But, um, and as I say, nothing to do with the, development, the new developments. This is, a, this is an overall strategy. But could we, could we respond to Councillor Lodge there, please, in terms of... I, could, I, could I just another couple of points while I've got, got the mic? Uh, on, under 8.1, it says that the, the water will need to to be continued to be brought into this catchment from the west. So point one of a question here is, 
uh, are we assured that there will be uh, the capability of doing that, that, that we can physically do it, and that the water companies are capable of doing it. Then on to um, a, a, another point, which is probably even more fundamental. As I understand it, the, the extra requirement for the airport expansion is not included in this study and not in these figures. Hence, then, does that mean when we get round to considering the airport application, we will then have to ensure that those are built on top of the plan requirements? And um, if so, it doesn't seem a great way of doing it. It would be, uh, make sense to integrate them, but uh, perhaps you could comment on that. Well, on the first point, um, Affinity Water have satisfied the Environment Agency that they can deliver their plan. Um, the document refers to updating their current uh, strategy, uh, which will soon be uh, published, actually. On the, uh, the second point, um, this water cycle strategy is based on the existing uh, parameters for the airport. I think Councillor, which, which does, to be fair, go up to 35 million passengers, but I think Councillor Lodge's point that we're about to get an application that takes it beyond that, uh, and therefore the two things need to be in line. So I'd like to take that one offline because this is it's not just about water um, in terms of uh, the airport and the local plan running concurrently. Um, there, it's, there are a number of areas, and it's difficult because one's a planning application and the other is a local plan. They are different animals, but nevertheless, uh, one needs to take account of the other. So if I can ask officers to take that point as well, please. Just, just a quick comeback on that then. So we might, we might have a, an either or. If it's decided that there's enough water for either the local plan or the airport, um, we're going to get the Reg 19 in first. So uh, that might go and the airport might not. Well, just speculating. I will... I declare an interest as the County Councillor for Takeley, but certainly I'm aware that at Priors Green and other parts of Takeley, it's not the supply of water, but it is the pressure of water. Where you have water pressure that only just exceeds one bar, the water companies will not step in. People get rid of their reducers on their taps and their little showers, and they put in great big power showers, then they won't work properly. Dishwashers don't work because there's not enough water pressure coming through. Um, it is quite a difficult problem. People actually on the doorstep, I mean, um, I can't remember which parish council, white roading the other night, it was, where is the water coming from? Because they know there they have problems as well, even though they have a water pressure booster. So it, it is one of those things, as well as the hospitals and the anything else, but water pressure and the supply of water is actually, to the public, very, very important, as well as some of these other things. But good quality water, we always get, you know, we've got excellent quality in terms of the purity of our water, but the actual pressure that people require for modern day living is not always there and we need to make sure that these developments do deliver that. Thank you. No other comments on water so we'll now move on to the next item which is the transport study from um, <coughs> white, young, green. Uh, it begins on page 115 and I will remind... Who's speaking to this one? Right. Will you... I don't know whether you made extensive notes about the comments, but maybe this is a double act, Mr. Miles, that uh, you do, because we had comments from um, Mr. Hall, 
um, from uh, Mrs Merrifield, um, from Mrs Dean, from Councillor Redfern um, in particular, there may have been others, about infrastructure. So I would like to address the points in your presentation, please. Thank you. White Young Green has updated the transport study for the Regulation 19 local plan. The update builds on existing district transport studies and the, in particular the addendum report of 2017. And it's in response to and discusses the issues including the latest development scenarios, sensitivity tests, accessibility scoring, impacts on the A505 and M11 Junction 8. But to sum all that up, that work doesn't change the conclusions that were reached previously. And the conclusion still remains that the three selected garden communities are the best option. And the points that were raised? So I'll start going through some of the points, and I might ask um, Mr. Gillam to, to help out on some of them. So, starting with uh, Mr. Hall uh, on transport, he talked about um, the references in the report to requiring any step change in um, uh, use of sustainable modes of transport. Uh, current unknowns on the garden community sites, um, access to the station at Great Chesterford, uh, and comparing that to the um, objective of, of avoiding rat running in the villages. Uh, reference to a park and ride at North Uttlesford and existing cycle route on the B184. Major access constraints. Uh, and, oh no, that was the IDP. So th those are the points which I noted down um, from Mr. Hall on transport. I hope I've captured most of them. Um, so on the requirements for a, a step change in um, use of sustainable modes of transport, one of the advantages of um, the garden communities and concentrating development in, in one particular or three particular areas rather than continually tacking it on to existing villages is that this allows for um, the delivery of significant elements of infrastructure, buses, rapid transit, uh, new cycle routes and the like to try and achieve the, um, the, the step change in sustainable modes of transport that was referred to in the report. Um, on access to the railway station in Great Chesterford uh, versus the rat running in villages point, um, I mean, to a certain extent, this, this comes on to the, the detail that's going to be worked through in the development plan documents versus the, the principles that are in the local plan. So the local plan is seeking to avoid rat running in villages. Um, 
and I mean discussions with the promoter for North Uddlesford have um, focused on motor uh, ac access to um, Whittlesford station as being the, the primary way of getting onto the railway network. But that decision hasn't been made yet. The, 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 decision, of, uh, the decision will be in, in the development plan documents. Um, I'm not sure how satisfactory that answer is. If I just add to that, since the, um, and it's referred to twice in the papers, uh, but since we last discussed uh, infrastructure at the northern end, um, Cambridgeshire County Council, working with the combined authority, have secured funding for a detailed study of the 505. And the 505 is now on the Mayor's um, future infrastructure plan. So this is good news. It is, uh, it is recognised. And it, it would have had to have happened anyway, notwithstanding um, North Uttlesford. Uh, in addition to that, the report, as you all have read, uh, refers to the investment that will need to be made by the developer at the two key roundabouts uh, on the M11 and the junction of the 505 and the 1301. Um, so I think these are material points. But I think in answer to Mr. Hall's point about rut running, it's all about um, the, key act, the, the, the entrance and exit point um, of the development. And um, clearly uh, work is underway and it would be incorrect to uh, jeopardise any negotiation about an access to the north. Um, but clearly uh, Field Farm Drive, sorry to get technical for those of you who don't know the area, um, is actually on the Stumps Cross, comes out on the Stumps Cross roundabout, which would uh, not push traffic um, down Chesterford High Street, whereas uh, Park Road uh, might. So these are important points which uh, have, have already been indicated um, and already been discussed, uh, but are a key aspect of the detail of the DPD. Um, I think that's uh, probably the most. Then in terms of, uh, are you going to comment on the other sites now? Uh, I was going, there's one other point which Mr Hall made, or two other points which Mr Hall made. Um, first being the park and ride for North Uttlesford. Um, we would have, I'd have to get back to you about that reference. So Councillor Barker wants to come in. Um, yeah, a bit of a plea for the south of the district. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're, we're getting dealing there. with the north. Because <laughs> we're looking at mitigation in the north and we're looking at a lot less mitigation in the south. Uh, the B1256 at Takeley. When the A120 opened, it was lovely. There was nobody there. Yeah. And now with the development through Takeley, through Little Canfield, it's back to where it was and nearly as bad again. Um, um, we, we, we look on this list. It's not just the B1256 at Takeley. It's the B1008 at Barnston. With North Chelmsford developing at the rate it's developing, they will come up that road through Barnston to hit the A120 at Dunmo. It is horrendous now. It says it's 141% or something. It's, you can't get out of my road in the morning. I'm not, I go the other way to Chelmsford because trying to go down the B1008 is not worth it. But I'm looking across at Councillor Mills. If I wanted to leave west of Braintree and go to Chelmsford, I'll go through Felsted. Totally inappropriate. You know, our DPDs, when they come along, they need to put really difficult stuff. It's okay if you just go to Felsted. You don't mind going through a few chicanes. But you don't want to do that every morning if you're in a hurry. But trying to get traffic to use the A131 from either Dunmo to get to Chelmsford 
or from Westbrook Rangers to get to Chelmsford, we've got to really make it difficult for people. And, you know, very difficult to move the B1008 to Barnston. You know, it would be an enormous bypass. It would be prohibitively expensive. But at the same point in time, for people in Barnston, there needs to be proper mitigation. And for people in Felsted as well. Uh, I mean, we, we, we could go on in terms of the detail, but it, I think the key point is that this detail must be examined. You referred to uh, West of Braintree to Chelmsford through Felsted, which is, and, and the point has been made previously in terms of travelling north potentially to rain through uh, country villages, uh, and the same point applies to the north and to a certain extent the same point applies to Eastern Park and uh, the mitigation that needs to be put into place for uh, Little Eastern um, and the impact on Dunmo, so all of these. But the key point is that um, this report uh, does not see over any overwhelming reason, uh, which is totally different from the last plan we had where there was an, an overwhelming reason that the inspector found uh, an overwhelming reason why these three settlements can't go ahead but I absolutely agree uh, the, the further detail um, needs to be calculated but I think the point it's making is that these things to a certain extent are possible um, any other point? Councillor Dean I'd like to pick up a a similar point that's already been referred to by Councillor Redfern, and that's the B1383, which she referred to. Now, from, what, from my reading of the WYG report and, and other, others later on, the um, Troy one on infrastructure, the, the B1383 seems to be the most uh, congested or ne nearly congested, reaching 100%, exceeding 100% stress, and what I, d I don't want to go into the details of these definitions that, that exist that goes through urban areas, and in particular Newport and um, Stansted, and Stansted is, is worse because you've got traffic coming in from Elsnam that, that joins it to go down to Bishop's Dortford. But reading through these reports, the only thing that anybody seems to have any interest in is the, the junction between the B1383 and the A120, just between Stansted and Newport. So concern, there's concern about that junction, but no reference or no concern about the clogged up Stansted Mount Fitchett and, for that matter, Newport, which personally I find more difficult to get through than my own place of, of Stansted. So although I, I accept... I, I think I can accept that that does not in itself rule out going ahead with these garden communities. I, I do hope that we aren't going to be so focused on garden communities that the planning process ignores other matters that, that, that exist and that will be aggravated. I mean, you know, there will be people from North um, Uttlesford who will not go down the M11 because they want to go to wherever it happens to be on the B1383 and therefore it will aggra aggravate the situation and we must not we must be putting things in place to deal with the, these local roads as well uh, so I, I would like to see certainly at the next stage the DPD stage that that, that sort of detail is addressed and not shoved to one side as and, and for instance if you read the Troy report uh, at the back of this lot it says and of course um, infrastructure analysis doesn't take into account 
existing problems, you know, that's somebody else's problem or that's you know, something that was caused 10 years ago and so forget it, we're not going to think about it. But I, I'd, I'd like, to, not tonight, but I'd like there to be a discussion about where's the overlap between history and today and the future uh, so that the whole place does not grind to a halt in 15 years' time because all we did was worry about motorway junctions and uh, the A120 and 505 and, and in places in Cambridgeshire. So, and, and if I might pick up another point uh, which arose from back to the officer report on page 16, which, was talk, which is the first reference to, um, to, to the sustainable rapid transit or whatever it turns out to be scheme along the A120. All the documentation talks about well, we'll make sure that we do something good for Dunmo and we'll, we'll get to Braintree and we'll get to Stansted Airport. But nothing seems to address the point that once you get a little bit further west than the airport, you get to Dunmo Road in Bishop Stortford and Hockrell traffic lights, which also happens to be on the 1383 and is the worst pollution area. It happens not to be in Essex. It happens to be just over the border in Hertfordshire. But just as we're worried about Cambridge to north of North Uttlesford, we, we need to bear in mind that we are going to be giving this, the west part of, northwest part of Hertfordshire more traffic and, and that, that needs to be taken into account. So I, I'm a bit concerned that that's ignored. At least I haven't found any reference to it having waded through this lot. So I, I just ask that that is taken away and looked at in more detail. Once we get beyond, hopefully, once we get beyond the 19th of June. Thank you, Councillor Dean, and I think that's an excellent point, well made, um, and clearly uh, one of the. Uh, I, I appreciate for the people in the room, uh, they may, may not be wildly popular, but one of the advantages of creating a new settlement is that. Uh, some of the mitigation can be put in place because there is the resource to do that and one of the challenges that Uttlesford has had for the last 20 years is that we've developed uh, existing communities without necessarily the change in infrastructure and the 1383 through Stansted and Newport is a very good example. Um, so Councillor Davis. Yeah just a, a point on here we, one of, if you look at the measures used to encourage sustainable travel, one of them is restricted car parking. And I, I totally get the flow of traffic and pinch points associated with volume, but, but what, where are our eyes when it comes to vehicles that actually just are parked? Um, we have a, 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 an issue in Dunmo and Woodlands Park where there's, there's very limited parking for residents, let alone visitors. Um, what's our methodology that we're using on a kind of per household basis of, of vehicle parking? I, I guess the impression that driveways aren't, um, they're much more used or better used to have houses on them rather than land for, uh, for, for vehicles to be parked on. And, and what's, what's our thinking within, within that as we, as we roll into um, that sort of strategy with a garden community um, approach? So I'll ask Mr. Miles or, or, or uh, Mr. Gillen to uh, answer that point specifically, 
but I think uh, you raise some interesting thoughts. So I well remember the discussion in 1997 about uh, how all the investment would be in public transport and not in roads, and this was the new strategy, um, because we'll drive uh, cars off the road, and we know what happened to that strategy. So I think we absolutely have to recognise that although there's going to be a lot of investment in sustainable transport, in public transport, there will still be cars and they will have to be dealt with. Now, over the course of this plan, that's going to change. They will be electric, certainly. Uh, they will probably be driverless as well, so there will be pods. So life will move on, and we need to predict that. Um, but th th at some point, there will be a car that's got to be parked. So there's the, the, the individual point that you're talking about, how many parking bays per house, and we do know that a number of the developments we've done in Uttlesford have not got the capacity, the roads aren't wide enough, so consequently there's verge parking. So I think all of, that need, all of those lessons need to be learned. But the other point, of course, is these are, you know, these are going to be towns, so every town that we currently have has su substantial parking. Um, so what are we doing about that as well? So how do you blend the car with public transport? Uh, is that Mr Killen going to answer that one? Yeah, I mean, briefly. Cottlesford um, uses Essex County Council's car parking guidance. Um, that doesn't that isn't prescriptive on setting um, maximum standards. So it's worth making that point. Um, and also, um, as was alluded to, we will be having a policy on electric car charging points and a requirement in new for a new housing development. Thank you. I think your point, I'd, I'd like to action that, Alistair, if you would. I think this, this point about um, are we protecting these new communities in terms of where cars will go is an extremely important one. And we do have it within our control to a certain extent in terms of how that is managed. I absolutely take Mr Gillen's point about the Essex guidance, but we can go beyond the guidance if that's what we want to do. If I can, if I can just come back on that, um, certainly when it comes to capability and capacity on the national grid for electric parking, there are some pretty severe limits on the current infrastructure in that space. I'd be very happy to take that offline because I can, I can provide some input on that. No, we welcome that. I think we should take that offline because you can imagine um, an awful lot of people arriving home, uh, plugging in their cars all at about the same time. And um, yeah. Um, so any other comments on the transport? Council Lodge. Thank you, Chair. Um, a straight strategic point and a, and a detail point. The, the first conclusion of the transport study is, is that it is identified that all highway links with Uttlesford currently operate within capacity. Really? I, I, I'm amazed by that statement, and I'm sure that personal experience uh, will, will contradict that. I'll, I'll ask my second question before you come back on that. Um, on the, on the Saffron Walden uh, traffic situation, the package improvements have been made, as it says, to Peaslands Road for traffic to avoid the town centre. Um, I'll pass on the success of that or otherwise. But the, the detailed point is that, that, that any assessment of, of, uh, of transport and air quality in particular um, in town is going to be left to the individual planning application stage. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like strategic planning to me. Just uh, briefly, uh, the reference to, uh, to roads was to links. The congestion 
that exists at the moment is on junctions. There's no congestion on links on the roads themselves. It's all to do with junctions. Uh, thank you. you not, not, not very useful, but thank you. <laughs> do you want to pick up the point about uh, looking at this holistically rather than through individual planning applications? Well, we do have, uh, we will have a, a policy that requires um, detailed transport assessments. And alongside that, uh, Essex County Council also review when it's required um, the whole strategy on air quality. But they did, they've already done that exercise and they don't consider it necessary to do it again with the revised level of development that we've proposed. Okay, thanks. Councillor Mills. <clears throat> Just to emphasise the point of the DPDs with the master planning, um, obviously the options for car parking courts and underground parking like the German models comes forward. So um, I would hope for the new settlements we will be providing ample opportunity for all of the cars and everything else, um, which we haven't managed to do in Flitch Green and many of the other developments. So. Indeed. Councillor Lees. Sorry. Um, when you say there's no need to do the air quality again, only last week a Newport planning application was turned down mainly on the fact that Newport has proved to have really bad air quality. That's a new thing. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that we, we're just looking at old figures and not looking at what's happening at this moment. So, um, I'm not an expert, but I don't think Newport was turned down for air quality, so I think we need to deal with that. Councillor Lachlan? It was turned down on policy S7, and uh, air quality was brought into it, but it wasn't the main reason it was turned down. So, I don't think... Uh, so Mr Gillen was answering a particular point, and clearly air quality is, is very important, and we recognise that. It will always be a consideration in every planning application, so we won't be moving away from that. If there are no other points on uh, the transport study, I now move on to the archaeological impact assessment on page 397. Thank you. Mr Gillan again. At Regulation 18, Historic England and Essex County Council required... No, fair enough. Fair comment. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the overall point, I, I think, took account... Well, your, your point was particular to the impact on Dunmo, and do you want to repeat it then? So that was one of your questions that you wanted a written response to? Well, yes, but it was, it was all part of it. I mean, the main thrust of why I was discussing that our consultant was saying is that the local, 
yes, that, this is true. Uh, it's only he hearing through me. So, 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 so the, uh, the, 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 the question is in terms of whether um, sufficient weight has been given to the transport matters um, for the inspector. What we've considered this evening is the uh, white, young, green response, and you've heard that summarised. You may even have read it. Um, that there is further work to do in each of the areas. Each speaker has raised important points that must be addressed. Um, Essex County Council are the Highways Authority, as you probably know from um, the Planning Committee. Each, each plan has a comment on it by Essex County Council, and uh, it, it's a very material point and can often decide whether the application goes ahead or it doesn't go ahead, depending on their advice. Um, and we work closely with Essex Highways on that. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that uh, all the aspects will be taken into account. I obviously recognise that highways are fundamental to the model, um, but we would need to... I, I, I don't really want to prolong this, because I think we've... We, we, well, I'm not quite sure what the question is, to be honest with you. I will ask uh, Mr. Gillen to respond to that. I mean, the key point is obviously is, is addressing the arterial routes, which is a lot of what that report was about. Uh, but Mr. Gillen? Yeah, basically the uh, study has been prepared on national guidance and there are standards in terms of what we should take into account and we've met those. In this iteration what we've also done is introduce a sensitivity test which basically uses a peak methodology which is what you I think were referring to. So we've used that. Good, thank you. Brief archaeological impact assessment. Who's talking to that? Mr. Gillen. Thank you. At Regulation 18 consultation on the Ottersford Local Plan, Historic England and Essex County Council required that a brief archaeological impact assessment be undertaken. Following discussion with Essex County Council and HE, the work looked specifically at the selected garden communities. In particular, the assessment looks at important views, the contribution made by the setting of the assets, potential harm, enhancement and potential mitigation. Without going through all the detail, the study very usefully identifies the assets on each of the garden communities and also their status. So on page 407, you've got North Ottlesford, on 418, Eastern Park, and 430, west of Braintree. 
And if you look at those maps, you can very quickly establish the relevant assets and their value. It's already been mentioned that North Ottersford has a Roman temple, and that is a, sch a scheduled ancient monument. I think it needs to be, in terms of west of Braintree, the report does mention a Roman settlement, but there's no scheduled ancient monument there. So the status would simply be that of a local asset. Thank you. Sorry, Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. I just have one question on this, and it arises from page 425, which is talking about Eastern Park. Um, in the, at the end of, um, or in paragraph 4.11, it refers to the uh, Little Eastern Manor, the church complex, and the, the gardens of Eastern Lodge, and then it says to ensure that the rural nature of these areas is preserved. And then it goes on in the last sentence, it says, land surrounding the complex could potentially be used as a designated open space. Now, I'm, I'm aware that there's also a proposal as part of this scheme to have um, a country park um, on Eastern Park. Uh, is the suggestion here that the country park could encompass that area, or is that a completely separate thought at the present time? I'm just wondering, you know, obviously it, it, it's not all going to be open space, so it's really a case of whether the two might go together or whether that wasn't the thinking at this stage in this paragraph. I think they're separate, but I will ask uh, officers. Uh, I think I can answer that one. Um, so this evidence base, in addition to informing the local plan, will be able to inform the work on the DPDs. So suggestions of where the air where it suggests there could be areas of open space, that is something that could be taken into account in, in the master planning work that will be done through the DPDs. Yeah, that's fine with me that it's a more detailed work for later on, but if that thought can be captured and brought back later, that would be great. Thank you. I mean, this... Okay. Uh, this report obviously flows into the heritage impact assessment as well, but uh, each of the three sites are rich in archaeological um, treasure and, and, and the heritage aspect, but uh, it, the report indicates how they can be mitigated, in fact, how potentially they might be enhanced. Councillor Lees. I think you just actually answered my question, really. Um, I, I can see why all of the areas of the settlements are concerned about their historical impact areas when we're doing all the studies so late. You know, the recommendation from the Heritage is that a full impact assessment should be undertaken for each site. So I'm just wondering why we haven't done that already. For, why have we left it this late? Well, we have done previous uh, heritage impact assessments, as you're aware. Um, but uh, this, along with the other reports tonight, is, is sometimes the second or, in some cases, the third iteration. Um, but the, again, it's about the detail. So um, whether it, it be at Eastern Park in terms of trying to uh, recapture 
some of what was the old park and there are potentially ways of, of doing that. Certainly mitigation to the areas of particular importance, including the gardens, creating a country park, recognising the house, etc. Uh, and the same thing uh, west of Braintree, recognising its heritage, the wood, um, and it doesn't look as though the airfield is going to be part of the proposal, but there are, nevertheless there are other archaeological sites at west of Braintree as well. So what this paper is doing is saying they are there, they must be mitigated, in some cases they must be avoided, um, and each of, the, each of the settlements has got enough land to be able to do that. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's an important piece of the evidence base. Um, but we're not at the master planning stage yet. Uh, and, um, so if at the master planning stage we were planning to you know, build houses on some of these points of archaeological importance, then clearly that would be a, a different point. No other questions, points? Okay, we move on to the uh, heritage impact assessment, uh, starting at page 439 in your second pack of papers. Those of you looking on the screen, I congratulate you. Who is talking to this one? Mr. Miles. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I will introduce it, but um, myself and Mr. Gillam will, um, will respond to points. So uh, the, sixth, one, two, three, four, the sixth paper that we are looking at tonight um, looks at the potential impact of the development on garden communities on heritage assets. This work was undertaken as a result of representations received at the Regulation 18 consultation, particularly from Historic England, but also others, uh, which considered that further work needed to be completed following the brief heritage impact assessment, which informed the Regulation 18 local plan. This new study identifies potential harm to the significance of heritage assets on all of the garden community sites, but does note a particular concern at North Uttlesford. Um, this relates to the, the scheduled monument on the site, on the southern part of the site. Uh, the study, as I said, already does identify measures that can help mitigate these impacts. However, as uh, we recognise in the report, we think further work will need to be undertaken to inform the appropriate layout of the development, uh, and this will take place to inform the DPDs. Uh, that, that, will not, that further work won't just need to look at North Uttlesford, it will need to look at all the sites. Um, the sensitivities of the North Uttlesford site, North Uttlesford site uh, have always been recognised by the Council. One of the reasons for the lower number of homes for North Uttlesford when compared to Eastern Park and West of Raintree is um, this be will better allow the sensitive sensitivities of the site to be protected. Uh, following uh, publication of this report, officers have arranged a meeting with Historic England later in this month to discuss the work. Thank you. Good, thank you. Comments? Councillor Dean. Thanks, Chairman. A very interesting document. Um, it's almost a reference document that we can uh, keep on our history shelf. Um, I've, I've got um, one point only, and it's more of a correction than a question. Uh, on page 603, 
where, it's, where it has a list of bullet points, uh, mitigation measures uh, required at the East of Stebbing site. It, it lists Great Sailing Conservation Area and registered park and a garden. If one then goes back to page 516, where there is the equivalent list for Eastern Park, um, there is no reference to the registered gardens at Eastern Lodge or any of the other, um, well, sorry, I won't say any of the other, but it's not mentioned, so it's just a, it's an inconsistency between the two. And I, I presume it's an error rather than there's some significance in not listing it under the registered gardens under Eastern Park. Mr. Kern? Yes. The registered park is addressed in some detail on page uh, 500 and 501. Essentially, the list of mitigations are intended to capture that. Um, obviously, we will look again to see if any more specific wording is, is needed, but it's certainly the intention to capture all what's on page 500 and 501. Well, that's fine then. I, I realise that there's much said earlier on. The summary is often important because that's often what people, is the only thing people read. Ah, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is, there is detail. Um, as, as we've just said, each, each of these three areas uh, is... is rich in heritage and um, we need to uh, respect and as I said where possible enhance and I, I, I do think there are opportunities to enhance that. Any other questions? Jeff Chairman, um, it's an excellent document, there's a lot to protect. We mustn't lose it when we get to the next stage. No. no. And, we, yeah, and what is going through my mind is in terms of uh, the dialogue um, and how we are consulting and working with the communities on the DPDs, which is um, a slightly dis different discussion to the ones that we've been having up, up until now. But uh, we will do that with authority. So uh, but, um, these key points are fed in. Good. In which case, uh, we now move on to the retail study update, which starts on page 719. Uh, thank you, Chairman. This study updates the 2016 retail capacity study. Uttlesford is well served in terms of food shopping with most residents shopping within the district. However, the study found additional food stores could be supported in Saffron Walden and Great Dummo towards the end of the local plan period. In relation to comparison shopping, most residents look to the main centres outside the district although Saffron Walden does retain some expenditure in relation to certain types of shopping. And by 2026, there's a need for additional floor space in Saffron Walden. The study also considers the retail needs of the garden communities and concludes that development within the plan period could support small top-up food stores at each community. Looking beyond the plan period, there are greater uncertainties and assumptions that have to be made and although this study does consider this, it's for illustrative purposes only and further work would be needed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, my old armor mater announced that it's going to be closing up to 100 stores 
um, this morning. And um, I think this is a very helpful update, but I, we're all aware of what is happening to the high street um, and the future shape of shopping. So all of this um, will uh, obviously need to be considered as we go forward. Councillor Dean. Yes, thanks, Chairman. Um, I, I've got a point that I'd like to make about my own ward. Um, on, um, on page 775, it, it refers to the uh, cooperative store in Stansted. Um, it, it's got an error in that it says that the new store in Lower Street opened in November 2014. It was actually two years later than that. Uh, so there's a, there's a typo or some form of error there. But it then, it then goes on in numerous uh, references between pages 890 and 958 because there are numerous tables. Uh, it's still referring to the co-op in Cambridge Road. So again, it's out of date. And, and the, the only reason I raise it is just, just I hope that they're, you know, they're, they're basing their report on the world as it is now and, and, and as it might be and that there aren't any, particularly as it does refer to um, shopping in Stansted has certainly been much more shaky than it is in Saffron Walden or Dunmo. so I'd hate them to be drawing the wrong conclusions. Um, we're obviously keen to improve it, but we need to know where we're starting from and, uh, and that the experts here have based their conclusions on, on the right information. Good. Thank you. Councillor Lees. Oh, sorry. I'm a little bit concerned about that still proposing just the Tesco Express in the garden communities. I mean, places like Camborne have made food, made, bleh, main food shop retail facilities. And I think, isn't it, if we're going to have all these extra houses and people are going to do their main shopping in Saffron Walden and Great Dunmo, that's more people shopping in the same supermarkets, on the same roads, on the same places... And, so, and then, so if you're going to put them, where are you going to put them? If you're going to put them outside the towns, we all know that has a detriment effect on all the high streets, and that's a different way of thinking now, and we're trying to go against that. Um, I find it quite tricky to understand how we are actually going to ensure that everybody's going to shop in the supermarket in Dunmo or Saffron Walden. So um, I think the, the report is looking at both the garden communities and the non-garden communities, if I've got that right, and it's suggesting that over time, um, if there weren't any new garden communities, that uh, Dunmo and, and um, Saffron Warden would want some extra capacity, uh, particularly around food, um, and that's a perfectly logical conclusion. As far as the garden communities are concerned... These, these would be towns in their own right. You're absolutely right. You know, 5,000 houses, that, not that's going to happen until 2050, 2060, so it's a long way away, but it's going to need a bit more than a Metro Tesco. So, um, and I don't, I don't think that's the intention, actually, in terms of what's written here. So these, these will be stand-alone communities that will require a range of retail. Now, as I say... We don't know what retail is going to look like in 30 years' time, but it will need. It, will, it, it is supposed to be a self-contained town. It, it, it does not want people to go outside necessarily to do its shopping. It might, people can choose to do that, of course, that's up to them. But in terms of all their basic requirements, that should be contained on these developments, and that will be the target. I hope that reassures you. 
because you can leave these new communities, but on the other hand, you should be able to uh, have a primary care facility, so be born there, uh, be looked after it, it medically, uh, to be able to go to school there, uh, probably not to university, we won't have gone that far, uh, to be able to work there, in the case of North Uttlesford, to be able to die and get buried there, um, and... Um, and that, you know, clearly is, is the intention. Otherwise, you do put pressure on the local infrastructure. Chairman, they'll be rushing to stairs to, to get away from this utopia for a week or two. <laughs> right, but I, 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 Councillor Lees makes a very important point. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. And, and clearly that, 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 is, that is incorrect. We have to take that point, so that will be minuted. But I don't, I, I don't think that's the intention. Councillor Lachlan, ladies first, and then Councillor Mills. I wouldn't say I was a lady, but thank you. Um, well, we all know when the news has told us that online shopping um, is becoming the norm now. I mean, if you don't have to go to Tesco's anymore or any supermarket because they will deliver them to your door. And that is the same whatever you're buying, clothes or anything. So I don't think we can know what's going to happen in the future, but I doubt if many people will be trundling off to Tesco's when they have to carry heavy shopping, take their cars when they don't need to do that anymore. And also, I mean, in Stansted we have Forest Hall and there was a site there for a shop, but nobody would take it up because the competition from the larger stores and online is just too much. They just don't survive. If you go to Saffron Walden, there are a few, well, there are, I don't know how many there are, but there are independent shops, but a lot of them are also high street. You know, you've got Superdrug, you've got Next, or New Look rather, you've got WH Smiths. Well, I'm not going to go on, but the, most of the high street is made up with um, large companies. So I just want you to make that point. Thank you. Uh, sorry, then Councillor Mills and then <coughs> Councillor Dean. Um, just to say again the importance of the DPDs with the retail in place. Um, if these are all detailed in the first packages and the time of these coming forward. Some of us visited Alconbury recently and uh, there's a pop-up shop with the first 50 houses and the schools open. So it's just going to be very important that all of this detail comes forward in that second package. Point very well made. Councillor Dean. I'd just like to put the record straight with my colleague, Councillor Lachlan, on my right. Uh, somebody did want to open a shop on Forest Hall Park, but, but it was located in the wrong location, so Councillor Lachlan's committee refused planning permission. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we forget the planning right now. Well, we might not now. Okay. We might, might allow Councilor it now. Barker. I think the thing is that we think of retail, or we think of food, or we think of WH Smith, but actually if you go to a lot of high streets these days, um, there are nail bars, there are hairdressers, there are coffee shops, and that is the sort of bit of the public bit that you can't do online. Well, not yet, not that I know of. And, you know, I'm not a nail bar person, you can tell, or a coffee shop person, but a lot of people do do this, and this is what communities will want as they grow. But I think the, you know, there will be a big supermarket at the end, but there needs to be the beginnings of that big supermarket very early on. And, uh, you know, some of our supermarkets, our major supermarket in Dunmo, needs competition. It is not a good supermarket. It doesn't offer value lines. It doesn't have a wide range of frozen food. It actually needs some competition to get it to. It's very profitable, but it's not the best example of a, of a Tesco I could quote. Okay, thank you. 
No other points on retail. So the final item is Mr. The Chairman, I have, a, I have a point. Somewhere in this documentation there is a statement, and I can't remember where it is. It, it's talking about the west of Braintree or east of Stebbing development, and it, it makes the assumption that if there are any shops, they're all going to be in the Dunmo bit. And I wonder who's predetermined that. It, it just seems a bit odd that that, that statement does exist somewhere. Um, and, 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 and it might be a bit early to uh, be presuming things like that. Uh, I'll, f I'll find the reference later, but I, I, I just found it very odd to say that. Indeed. Well, I won't reiterate the point well, uh, I've made that each of these new communities must stand alone with their retail offer. Does any officer want to comment on that? I was just trying to search through your, your questions, which you kindly provided before the meeting, to, to try and find the reference. I, I can't find it either, I'm afraid. Um, but I would make the point that um, the, the location of the shops within the garden community is something that will be determined through the development plan document process and the master planning that's, that's involved with that. It's, it's not something that the evidence is going to dictate at this point in time. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, this brings us to the last item um, on tonight's agenda, which is the infrastructure delivery plan. And I believe Troy are speaking to that. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you very much. My name is John Herbert. I'm a director with Troy Planning and Design, and I've been asked to introduce the IDP for you. Uh, so you may recall that the IDP was first prepared last year to sit alongside the Regulation 18 version of the local plan. Um, the IDP last time round uh, considered all seven garden communities, villages or extensions on the table at that time and uh, various uh, scenarios associated with different levels of growth at the existing towns and villages. Uh, the IDP was informed by workshops with all of the infrastructure service providers uh, covering services and utilities such as transport, health, education, waste, etc. Following the uh, review of the consultation feedback and the preferred uh, scale and direction of growth now set out in the local plan, we have revisited the IDP and spoken again with all of those infrastructure providers uh, and their input is fed directly into the updated version of the IDP. Um, the IDP uh, looks at physical infrastructure, which includes things like roads and water. Uh, it looks at social infrastructure, which is things like schools and healthcare and play space. And it also looks at green infrastructure, which covers things like country parks and natural green space. It identifies where possible the infrastructure needed to facilitate growth, costs and responsibilities for those. Uh, the previous IDP identified uh, a couple of issues, one with regard to wastewater, uh, subsequent to which, as uh, Mr Gillam uh, spoke through earlier, the water cycle study has been prepared uh, and there are a number of workable solutions identified in that. It also raised issues with regard to Junction 8 of the M11, uh, subsequent to which uh, we understand there are short-term solutions uh, which have, been, have funding uh, and longer-term solutions are being investigated by Highways England at the moment uh, 
which they uh, hope will feed into the next road investment strategy. Uh, and that's not just focused on Junction 8, but looks at the whole corridor up to Junction 13 as well. The IDP is very much a living document. Uh, so as and when more detail on particular sites are known, that can be fed through into the IDP and the costs and requirements updated uh, on a regular basis. And um, we are currently in the process of reviewing some of the inputs from uh, service providers at the moment, in particular from Essex County Council with regard to uh, transport matters, just to make sure that we have all of the exact information that's required. Some of those points uh, we are checking pick up on some of the questions that were raised earlier uh, with regard to transport matters, which uh, Mr. Miles answered. Um, I think as well, some of the previous questions uh, from the floor and around the table were picked up in relation to the water cycle study and the transport study, although uh, Councillor Dean uh, noted you did raise one question with regard to uh, looking at uh, deficits in infrastructure, the guidance uh, established uh, in the National Planning Practice Guidance is that uh, the infrastructure delivery plan should look at the infrastructure required as a result of the new growth being planned for. Um, that's what's fed into uh, the, the, the IDP. However, having said that, uh, clearly some of the infrastructure provided will uh, help make up for existing deficits. So, for example, provision of improved bus services as a result of the garden communities, for example, will also improve services for existing communities as well. Thank you, Mr. Herbert. Um, comments, questions? Councillor Dean. Yes, I would like to come back to Mr. Herbert on the point that he's just mentioned and something else in the, in the report. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear this. It's not totally black and white. In other words, that if uh, something can be justified as part of the development and we can also address so-called historic deficits, then an alter the good, uh, you know, which comes back to my point about the B1383. I don't think it should just be addressing A120, 1383 junctions. Other things do need to be looked at. So I would hope that that point will be taken away and given consideration. Um, it might not, this might not be addressing historical past deficits or problems that exist today. Um, and I'm not sure. Uh, that it also addresses all future ones. And I'm going to come back to something. I think it was Council Lodge made reference to Stansted Airport earlier. Now, on page 1038, I think it is, there is a, there is a paragraph, a parag a, a paragraph 223 about Stansted Airport where it makes reference to the current planning application. Now it's my understanding that the, um, and it's said in, it, well it was said in the last um, draft of the local plan and I imagine unless it's, something's changed it's going to say the same in the one that hits the presses or, or should I say hits the doorsteps tomorrow, um, that, 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 that you know, that's still the case and yet reference is made here. I, I have a, 
a personal concern that um, one, the local plan may not be looking far enough ahead in terms of the airport and this is all on the assumption that permission can be given for it to expand beyond its present limit of 35 and that's still, still to be worked out. Um, the present application goes to 43, it can be argued that that's not the ultimate and so in terms of infrastructure delivery from coming back to the, you know, the standards about what should be addressed and what shouldn't. Um, if, if let's just say that the airport can go significantly beyond the 43 that's being asked for at the moment, ought not infrastructure planners to at least be thinking what will be needed to be done at that stage, even if it's not on the table at the moment, because otherwise your work and the planning might be producing mitigation solutions that don't address the ultimate and they might be in the wrong place and five years or ten years hence we say why the heck did we do that because we didn't look far enough ahead in other words how strategic is this infrastructure work and how tactical step by step uh, is it and I guess you're going to say well it all depends what, you're, what terms of reference you're given but uh, I'd just like to hear uh, from the horse's mouth what your thoughts are on that approach, those approaches Well we, we, we can only assess uh, sort of the information on the scale of growth we, we have uh, on the table at the moment um, so we know the scale of growth in terms of the housing trajectory and what's being looked at in terms of scale of employment uh, we have asked infrastructure providers about the known scale of growth at Stansted uh, and that has fed into responses on that, particularly in regard to um, highways and Highways England looking at the M11 uh, corridor. Uh, I noted your point earlier about water cycle study and, that, and there's a, a question there about that. But uh, say so the IDP looks at what is known to us at the moment. Thank you. We'll have to tell you more. Councillor Lees and Councillor Loughlin. Okay. Yet again, you go first, Councillor Loughlin. Um, but Saffron Warden doesn't seem to come out very well in this. Will we be, uh, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any mitigation measures mentioned. Uh, will there be a time that we will know if there will be? Because it actually says there are several junctions that require mitigation measures. Uh, and it says a link road was tested but found not to be <laughs> a very good uh, route, if you like. Uh, so and when will we find out if that is ever going to be possible? Because looking at this, it doesn't seem as if it will be. Just before Mr Herbert answers, that, 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 I'm not sure that a link road was tested. I think uh, link roads are huge, hugely expensive. Sorry, it says a link road was tested as a way of alleviating traffic movements through the town. That's what the yeah, says I'm not in sure the it meant a whole link road from north to south, but um, clearly these are hugely expensive. And um, I know the Southern Warden Neighbourhood Plan is reviewing the very long term um, and what might be the case in 20 years' time, 15 to 20 years' time. So, um, but the rest of it I'll let Mr Herbert answer, but you're absolutely right. Saffron Walden is a challenge. It is a 21st century town with a 16th century structure. So we, we, we've drawn on inputs directly from service providers, so on transport, that includes Essex County Council, 
and we've also drawn on the information from the transport study which identifies improvements to particular junctions in the town centre to be delivered to help relieve the uh, flow of traffic. Uh, Essex County Council also identify a need for a wider package of sustainable travel measures which is referred to um, in the mode shift within the transport uh, study. Uh, so we, we pause in those um, schemes. I, I don't know whether Mr Gillen wants to add to that at all. I think most of it's covered, but the, um, I think the main thing to refer to is the, um, what's called the Peasland Corridor, which is where Essex County Council's measured, uh, measures are focused, and they're based on monies that they've already collected are, or are in the process of collecting. In terms of the link road, it was a link road on the eastern side of town between Radwinter Road and Thaxted Road and that's the need, the testing of that is, was published last year and is on the website. Councillor Lees. I keep thinking I sound like an impatient teenager, so I'm sorry. Um, you've got paragraph 85 talks about a country park, but it's completely non-committed about where it's going to be, and we've got these three garden communities. Should we not be looking at that now, instead of looking at, or is everyone going to have a significant green infrastructure <coughs> locally? Um, the guidance is that green infrastructure should be accessible for residents. So, you know, I mean, people from north... Usford shouldn't be having to drive to Eastern Park for their green space. and We haven't got any commitment for anything. I know it's a living document, but I'm just wondering why we're not looking at that sort of stuff. That's the first one. And my second one is, of course, I am really disappointed in the sports and playing field that so, seems to be so late. Being a sportswoman myself and, and loving sport, and I know John does too, it is a little bit concerning, isn't it, about that the, it's not going to be here till April 19. I know that we're not probably going to adopt the plant of June 19, but what's going to happen when interim periods of planning applications coming in for sports, contributions, etc., etc.? So um, you're going to get an update. I, I was incorrect, actually. This is not the last item. There are four updates to come, uh, the last of which is a sports and playing uh, pitches study. But you're right. It's a, it, it, it takes a year because you've got to look at the summer sports and then the winter sports. Um, every, and um, Councillor Mills and Councillor Lachlan will be only too aware of this. When they're looking at planning applications, they're looking at contributions to sport. So, uh, and, and we've done that continuously. Um, one or two grand schemes um, might still happen. Others, um, including one in Saffron Walden, won't. But that doesn't mean that they won't be other schemes. So we're reviewing sport all the time. It's a perfectly legitimate comment, and it is—it's a key part of the health and well-being. I can't remember the first part of your country park. Yeah, I'll let um, Mr. Herbert answer that one. Uh, well, I think first of all, just to um, sort of pick up on, on the sports uh, side of things as well. So um, in the interim, whilst waiting for the, for the update, we have liaised closely with Sports England and used information from them to help inform uh, what they think is required in the future. Um, they uh, do inform us uh, that... Uh, rather than looking at quantity, they're concerned with quality of provision 
which I think is right. Um, so, uh, again, noting your, your, your comment, uh, this is a living document, so as and when that report is updated, that can follow through to this. In regard to the, the country park, uh, the three garden communities obviously provide uh, scope for inclusion of a country park, uh, and that can be incorporated through the master planning uh, process for those. Um, I think I would defer to your offices um, in regards to where that might be provided. Yes, um, so Herbert's right. That kind of work on, on where the country park and the green infrastructure within the garden communities will be provided it would, will be done through the master planning, through the development plan documents that will follow the local plan. Obviously, the promoters of some of the garden communities have started to put their ideas forward as to where they think uh, country park or green infrastructure might go, but that isn't decided at this point in time, and, and the DPDs will be the documents which seek to fix that. Councillor Lodge. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for, uh, to Janice for, for kicking off some of, some of the work. That, that, that was interesting. That. And, and it leaves me scope for a, a lot of supplementaries. Uh, and I won't take that because I, I, I sorry, I won't take that opportunity because just, just, just looking at particularly under 2.1.2 where it says that uh, improvements to existing traffic corridors have been identified which will provide opportunities for traffic to avoid travelling through the town centre of Saffron Walden. <laughs> they haven't. It, it, it isn't there. That report is uh, tangibly wrong. Uh, I will come on though to a, to a more strategic issue and that is 2.1.1, the M11 Junction 8. We're, we're, we're looking for uh, manna from heaven. No, we're looking for government to, to do something. But you know, just at what point do we get more details and assurance that that, that really will happen? Mm. Or will we say uh, to government, this is what we'd love to do, but if you don't do your bit, it won't happen? So, again, I'll let Mr Herbert answer, but as you know, there is a scheme, there's a £6 million scheme that is going to happen, um, and it will, that will improve the junction. Uh, there will then need to be a more substantive scheme, and um, both um, uh, the, the developments down the, the A120 and Stansted will need to make significant contribution to that. Junction 8 is absolutely very clearly on Highways England radar. It, it, it is a key uh, point that they fully acknowledge that. So um, they'll do the, the first solution and then uh, there will be, um, it will be on RIS, the next RIS round in terms of improvement. Uh, I think we're in year, is it a five year cycle RIS? Or I think we're in year four or five, aren't we, of the current RIS. So the next RIS, RIS um, uh, investment um, package will, will almost certainly include Junction 8. If I could just make a, a final point on Saffron Walden, because you used to sit on, on that group. There is a, there, there is a, um, a cross-council insofar that it involves um, the town council, the district council and the county council and it involves members and it involves officers to continually review what can be done to help uh, the flow of traffic in Saffron Walden and obviously the flow of traffic then leads to air quality. So um, that's, you know, I'm sure 
it will never complete its work because we'll always be looking to make the improvements. There's been reference, I think, to this Peaseland Road solution, which I think was the infamous one-way one, which has advantages and also disadvantages. So, um, but that, you know, there is an ongoing uh, review of that. Mr. Herbert, do you want to add to anything, Phil? Uh, yes, just to say on the Highways England work for the M11 Junction 8, you're correct, it is a five-year period. The next road investment strategy uh, runs from 2020 to 2025. Highways England are working on uh, long-term solutions at the moment, which they hope to get funding for. Um, we're told there should be an announcement in 2019. Um, on Saffron Walden, I think I have to take that back and liaise with the transport consultants to get more detail for you. Okay, any other comments on the infrastructure delivery plan? Thank you very much, Mr. Herbert. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, thank you. Right, we now have an update on the whole plan viability study on Hatfield Forest Work, Epping Forest Work, and Sports and Playing Pitches study. And I've been told to complete this meeting in three hours, so hopefully we'll be able to do that. Um, th thank you, Chair. Um, I'm Claire Berry, uh, Senior Associate Director at Troy Planning and Design. I'm just here to give um, you an, a brief update on the whole plan viability study at work. Um, you will recall that um, we were commissioned with um, consultants Three Dragons um, in 2017 to undertake the whole plan viability of the local plan. Um, we have um, been updating that work in the light of the representations received to the Regulation 18 plan, and we have also been updating the detailed costs and values um, for the district in the light of the most up-to-date um, evidence. Um, that work is, is ongoing, but we are now coming to a conclusion, and that will be presented to you next week um, on the 31st. Um, but just set out for you in the paper um, today is um, a brief um, update of our findings so far, which are that we have um, updated or are in the process of updating case studies for a range of different um, types of sites and scenarios that includes the garden communities. The um, results so far from those case studies which um, show that um, strong indication of pos positive viability across all those case studies and all those different sizes of sites. Um, that has also included testing the um, policy content that is relevant to viability, if you like, those factors that can affect viability, and that's um, listed in paragraph 90 of your um, report, and that includes um, affordable housing, the 40%, um, as was in the Regulation 18 plan, also housing for older people, energy efficiency, housing mix, accessibility, um, electric charging points, all those kind of factors, and different densities. Um, and that all shows strong indications of positive viability. Um, as I say, that work is ongoing. We are in the process of um, meeting with the garden community promoters to test out our assumptions and case studies, and we have taken that opportunity to also test out the infrastructure delivery plan. Um, so we, we've done those jointly, and as I say, that will be fed back to you next week in, in further detail. We look forward to that. Thank you very much indeed. Hatfield Forest? 
I'm sorry, were there any questions for that item? Obviously we'll have a fuller discussion next week. Thank you, Chairman. Um, okay, so uh, the uh, Hatfield Forest, uh, the, actually the final um, report has, uh, has landed on my, uh, in my inbox uh, today. Um, it's uh, basically uh, over, it basically goes into the um, visitor uh, attitudes and behaviours uh, in the forest uh, over a, um, what, what's happened over a, over a long period of time. Um, there has been uh, impacts uh, on the forest which has uh, manifested in uh, wearing the ground, um, vegetation, disturbance of wildlife and contamination from foreign materials and uh, invasive plants. Um, and uh, there are some visual impacts uh, on the that are evident upon um, uh, inspection with the uh, recession of uh, central rides and edge vegetation and compaction on the ground. Um, there was a survey uh, completed, uh, collected at five points across the forest uh, over the course of 104 hours between December and Feb uh, 2017 and February 2018. Um, and uh, it uh, indicates that 50% uh, um, of uh, users are, are, are uh, sort of dog walking um, and they're using the, uh, the site more than three times a week. And scaling that up uh, indicates that 851 individuals are completing 92,000 visits per annum, which is quite a lot. 76% um, of the people interviewed said they were willing to uh, use alternative expansive green space if, uh, close by if it became available. Um, uh, so um, <coughs> at the uh, time of uh, writing, using the housing trajectory, it's expected a footfall uh, originating from within 15 kilometres of forest will increase uh, by 26% at the end of the uh, plan period. Although since this was written, uh, the housing figures have been subject to minor changes. Um, heat mapping um, was gathered to uh, ascertain how exactly the forest is uh, being used and where pressure points are. Uh, this was found to be uh, at the car park entrances and roadways and at the foot entrances along the Flitchway. Um, this is a concern as the majority of people are visiting the forest, travelling there by car and uh, site the close proximity as being the uh, reason for visiting. Um, they are uh, looking at uh, mitigation methods uh, which uh, basically surround um, promoting um, a suitable alternative natural green space, um, effective visitor messaging, um, and uh, then uh, involvement from uh, staff to build a stakeholder dialogue. Um, so it's creating a conduit for better understanding of visitor attitudes and concerns and creating visitor ambassadors amongst local people or users who are willing to contribute. Um, and for the uh, trust to be seen engaging and uh, respecting views of local people. Um, they are also looking at physical 
methods, which are introduction of temporary path surfacing uh, in high usage locations, uh, experimentation with soil aeration, uh, keeping visitors away from veteran trees by means of physical barriers, uh, closing paths at key times to ameliorate uh, trampling damage, and monitoring visitor numbers more consistently against preset impact indicators and carrying out more extensive photographic and botanical uh, monitoring of right condition, um, amongst other things. Um, they um, have suggested uh, a number of um, mitigation uh, measures that we can incorporate into the local plan uh, going forward, including um, the combination of uh, a triple SI, which is what Hatfield Forest is, um, impact assessment um, into the uh, ecological survey. I will uh, be re uh, distributing the uh, report uh, more widely um, very shortly because I've only just received it myself today. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Councillor Barker. Um, they don't help themselves. To charge £5 to park there for a casual visitor, um, I think possibly there should be some way, because what you actually get is cars parking on the verge at any entrance park to the forest. I know that's not the main path, but you, know, you do get this erosion of verges as well because people are not willing to pay £5 to go and walk their dog. And they've only walked a quarter of a mile from Takeley, perhaps, some of them, but then they go park inappropriately as well. Although parking restrictions have been put in, that doesn't stop them trying to find any gateway anywhere around the forest rather than actually... And it's a pity because evidently if they go to charge people to park, then they've got to have somebody on duty. So actually creating another parking place gives them another problem um, but it is, over the last few years, with the expansion of Takeley, it is really noticeable how many more people there are milling around. I actually sit on the Every Step Counts Committee. Could I just make a comment that the... the you've got a report before I have, which is quite staggering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just say that one of... All right. Well, can I just, just, just clarify something? Let, let, let us speak, but we're not into open session, no. All right. I, I just wish you could get your facts right, because a vast amount of the dog walkers come up the flitchway, and they're actually parking off-site as well in car parks. One of the places they park is in front so, of So your the point is, is about parking? Hmm? Your point is about parking? Yes, about parking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's registered. It's registered. registered. Jackie, it's, yeah, okay. it's just that I yeah. think that you do need to look yeah, very okay. seriously at it's that. It's the same right? point that uh, Councillor Barker made, so if we can take that offline, please. Yep, thank you. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware that that was, that was happening, but I've, I've made a note of it. Okay, good. Epping Forest work, please, update. Okay, so it seems a, a little bit far from uh, us also, but uh, Epping Forest uh, sits just uh, within the 15-kilometre uh, buffer zone as uh, identified by the draft uh, habitats uh, regulation assessment. Um, we, I think we were, it was previously screened out and we were told uh, to put it back in again. Um, the report um, goes into... Uh, it's a, it's a little bit different from the Hatfield work, but the report goes into great depth about the uh, composition uh, of the forest in respect to its history, current management regime and uh, ecological construction. 
and um, it, how it provides a uh, home to a rich and highly diversified array of flora and fauna, and that's because of its uh, um, quite varied uh, geological uh, base. And it goes into depth of, of um, how the forest has been historically managed by uh, pollarding. Um, the findings uh, have suggested that, uh, again, sort of been that they were uh, carried out um, under a. Uh, as a stratified uh, range of locations, uh, again different activities such as uh, dog walking, a mixture, um, and uh, there's sort of a mixture of uh, uh, honeypot sites um, as well as uh, less publicised locations um, in order to gain uh, data about uh, usage patterns, including visitor origin, uh, profile factors, and uh, what influences their behaviour. Um, so 49% of the people interviewed were dog walkers, 22% um, of other activities uh, listed in the report um, were... You can summarise it briefly. I think Epic Forest is on the periphery of this exercise, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Just do the main points. Um, Okay, so um, the port was basically commissioned to uh, understand, understand the, recreational use of the recreational use of the forest and its links with local development, um, and that's why the survey was uh, uh, take, uh, completed. Um, And the, the, the reason why, why we're involved is because it, it, we, we, we're established in the uh, uh, we were established as uh, in the uh, memorandum, memorandum of understanding, uh, um, and basically what the report does is to is to detail the behaviours and attitudes of the visitors and how they use the forest by analysing the data that was gained, and it. It rather leads a sort of more of an open discussion at the end, um, rather than forming a fixed conclusion like the Hatfield work. Okay. Right. Thank you very much indeed. That's very helpful. No questions on that. So finally, we come on to an update on the sports and playing pitches study. Uh, thank you. Since the um, papers were published, I can. Um uh, tell members that we've appointed a company called Knight, Kavanagh and Page to undertake the study. Um, they're very experienced in this work and have good working relationships with national governing bodies of sport and um, Sport England. Um, they will uh, gain an understanding of population growth and the demand for sport and recreation, look at and evaluate the current um, quantity, quality and location of sport and recreation facilities, uh, will assess the demand and supply and therefore identify over and under provision, quality deficiencies, gaps, and set out where and how the council should meet existing and projected demand. Um, they prepare standards for informal recreational open space and facilities, and prepare a prioritised action plan for formal sport in accordance with Sport England guidance, and provide justification and evidence for on-site delivery of Section 106 agreements. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent exactly what we need uh, but I do ask that they use the um, information from the previous report because it's a very substantive 
analysis of all our sporting facilities, the, 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 you know the one I'm talking about, it'd be a bit of a waste of time and money to repeat that exercise, but uh, to do what you've just described is, is first class. Councillor Davis and Councillor Lachlan. Three times in a... Yeah, God, go how can a girl get so lucky? <laughs> yeah. um, on page 1127, um, talking about facility types, location, maintenance, etc. Um, we've got the Friends School, which we know doesn't exist anymore. So that's obviously not applicable. But um, Mount Fitchett Ramira Leisure Centre is said it's, uh, there's nothing in its use capacity. Uh, and I wondered why that was, because it is used, it's a gym. I know the school have first say, um, but there's nothing in it. <laughs> And that's on page 1127, Sarah. Sorry. You're, yeah, you're referring to the infrastructure um, delivery plan there, aren't you? That's yeah. that reference there. Um, so obviously when the, co the consultants start their work, they will probably, uh, I would work, uh, work with us and One Life to ensure that they identify all the facilities that are in each of the leisure centres. It still, uh, that still doesn't explain why there's something against all the others, but not, not the standards. I, I can't comment on the IDP, so... Oh. Councillor Davis? No, no it's just to reiterate uh, Councillor Ross' um, comments around the work that was done in 2012, yeah. I think it was. Um, not, not only is there a lot of context around the, the summarising of, of facilities, but there is a considerable amount of information about uh, the sports groups in both the north and the south. There were sort of two pockets of work, and that there's, there's, I know from speaking to people like Dunmo Atlantis in, in the south, there's a, there's a huge amount of interest in being involved and engaged um, in the activities that, that, that any work would, would be involved in. So there's, there's a lot of people out there who can, who can provide a lot of context. No other comments, but we absolutely recognise the importance of sport. Good. Thank you very much indeed. So two and three quarter hours. Um, and congratulations to members uh, of the public who have stayed the course. Thank you very much indeed. Um, next Thursday I describe the process, uh, 60 minutes of public speaking to overcome the problem, which I think we did overcome in the end. Um, what, the secret is to have more than one speaker because if you've got a lot to say then have two or three speakers because we do have to stick to the three minutes each uh, but there will obviously be opportunity next week for uh, 20 speakers um, I, I guess uh, next week is uh, the first of a trilogy of meetings uh, in terms of whether we put this, the regulation 19 out for consultation and um, there are significant implications if we don't uh, on the 19th and, and I leave you with the thought that um, three, three, three things we have to have a plan I, I know the people in this room don't particularly want the sighting to be where it is I live in Chesterford I understand your language but we have to have a plan um, as, as, as part of that um, obviously the numbers as, as raised by Mr McDonald and Mr Young um, I think we're almost at a point now where there is certainty about what those numbers are and they would be worse. That, that is absolutely so. This isn't a threat, but we've been told this by the Ministry if, if we don't go ahead. So that makes June the 19th uh, it, 
very important as well. And the final point I'd make, and uh, it's not loose language development plan documents, um, and uh, we'd be very pleased to um, perhaps have a presentation by the solicitor if that would be reassuring to, uh, to colleagues. Um, but it, it is the way to put in the detail that many of you have been talking about tonight. Uh, so we will be taking, we didn't have to do a DBD, we don't want a medal for, for doing it. It will cost us money, it will lengthen the process, but it absolutely will extend the point of consultation and collaboration and partnership working with local communities. So for those reasons, we're, very, you know, we're pleased that we are doing them. But it, it will, so there might be aspects of the plan that you don't like and you're perfect, perfectly entitled to do your representations in the usual way. Uh, but as far as the detail is concerned, you have got that opportunity, very much the opportunity to come back and do it again. So we'll um, take next week as it comes. Uh, but uh, I'll conclude uh, by echoing the point that um, Councillor, I, I don't really want to extend this, but Other? We did that at the beginning. All the actions we did at the beginning. But take them offline if you've got a point. But all of the actions were dealt with. I just wanted to conclude by, and Councillor Dean made this point. I mean, there are 1,150 pages. There's going to be another huge uh, chunk next week. And uh, that's not the only thing that officers and our consultants are doing. There is a breathtaking amount of work going into this and um, I'm sure they do sleep but uh, you know it's a continual churn so I, whether you agree with the solution or not the amount of work that's gone in I think we can all agree is tremendous and, and, and particularly thorough so very many thanks to all of you thank you good meeting closed thanks very much